Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. learned from our history and gotten to here so now you want to destroy all that history and all these people i i personally just talking about myself i'm pissed me too i, I don't i don't like it i i i'm voting for trump i'm okay with it i'm talking about it like i'll openly say it like yeah i am i think he is doing a lot of things that i didn't understand and i didn't like him before but now over the past four five months how long have we been doing this show Month six. I am immersing myself in what is going on in the world, and I see it. I'm not an idiot. I'm a logical-based person. I follow the logic. I follow, you know, what's actually happening, and I think he's doing a lot of things that we need to had happen. The Democrats work with China. It's like that scares me. I am frightened of China. They clearly want to control the world. And I think that there's a lot of people that they've paid in America, Democrats mostly, that are trying to undermine America as a whole. And it's, yeah, because it's, they got foreign interests, factories, international companies, yes, conglomerates. Yes, the corporations that are making all the profit from, international all, from all the movement of all the product that we all use. And it's like, okay, so if Trump wants to bring that back to the States, no wonder he's been orange man bad for the all, the whole four or five years that he's been he's, in the media. He's, he's pulling cash out of their pockets, bro. Yeah, exactly. The tariffs? Hello. Yes. Yep. It's like, it's it's so obvious to me now. So it's like, I'm seeing it. I'm like, all right, well, I'm not an idiot anymore. And uh, I, 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 I like to believe that a lot of people my age that are coming, of, like the coming of age of... of coming out of being in your bubble to realizing what life is like. It's like the bell curve of life. You're in your mid-30s, you know, you're, you know, you're starting to, yeah. this is where you're going to be. They call it being red-pilled. Sure. And, uh, yeah, and I'm, I, would ne- I would never go back. You've learned from our history and gotten to here, so now you want to destroy all that history and all these people. I, I personally, just talking about myself, I'm pissed. Me too. I don't. I don't like it. I, I'm. I'm voting for Trump. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 19th of August, year of our Lord 2020. That is a damn progressive podcast host taking the red pill. I think we'll have a lot of red pill today. We're going to go through some violence, a very disturbing violence section. Postal has gone postal. The DNC convention, a woke section, and our This Is America was last night's DNC convention. So, a lot of content, got some long sound bites, but I hope you enjoy. I want to start with the purpose, really, of this podcast, that while we're doing a Democratic National Committee convention, why we're talking about how evil Donald Trump is. This section is going to be long, but I wanted, or with a long soundbite covering it, but I wanted to cover just this soundbite. This happened on an American street. 
and nobody covered it. Nobody covered it. It's ignored. We have one paper that did. I went past the paywall to see if they actually did a story on it. They didn't. They did one paragraph. Simultaneously on Sunday night, Detroit police officer Rashid McLean died in the line of duty. He was responding to a woman's distress call and was shot in the neck by a violent protester. That was also... Not covered. Amazing thing, he's black. Amazing thing, the guy who was beat in the street was defending a transsexual man. But nobody covered it. Because it did not fit the narrative of the violent left. Bullies don't win. The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right, up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. Michelle Obama, John Kasich on deck. Kasich used to work here at Fox. It'll be interesting to see what he says tonight. Stay tuned to Fox News for coverage and analysis of that. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. It is amazing how quickly a civilization can tumble backwards. It takes a long time to build something worth having, but just a moment to destroy it. That's the most famous lesson of ancient Rome, whose fall was followed by a thousand years of darkness. But as it turns out, that can happen anywhere. Just three months ago, this was a different country. Whatever its problems, America in the spring of 2020 was making good on its most basic principle. All men are created equal in the eyes of God and under the laws of the United States. Millions of immigrants from around the world believed that was true. That's why they came here. This country offered opportunity and safety to everyone, regardless of what they looked like. We were proud of that. We were right to be proud. Then over Memorial Day, a man died in police custody in Minneapolis. Our leaders responded to his death in an unexpected way. They decided that America itself was a lie. They decided this was not a country founded on the promise of equality. 
Instead, they told us that America was a 250-year-old exercise in oppression and cruelty. The American experiment never should have been conducted. So in ways big and small, they began working feverishly to undo the country. It didn't take long. Just 12 le weeks later, here are the results. This is video shot late last night in Portland, Oregon, during a BLM rally at the city jail and police precinct. A mob surrounded a man and woman in their truck. They beat the woman to the ground. The couple fled for their lives. The mob chased them until they crashed into a building. Watch. The mob loves it. They're rejoicing. Then they set upon the man. They drag him out of his truck and force him to sit on the ground like a hostage. The man doesn't fight back. He doesn't resist in any way. Watch what happens next. Back up. Back up. Back up, bro. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. Hey, bro, you're not leaving, bro. You're not going nowhere. Hey, hey. Put your down, Hey. It's hard to watch. They nearly killed him. They beat him unconscious. We just learned the man is still in the hospital tonight. The monster who kicked him in the head as he sat there defenseless, the Cretan wearing the jacket that says security on it, has not been arrested. Many on the Internet seem to know exactly who he is. But as of tonight, no arrests at all. That's what Portland, Oregon is like right now. A major American city has fallen to the mob. We've got much more video from Portland. Some of it we're not going to show you. It's too awful. The rest of the media are ignoring all of this. These are Joe Biden's voters screaming slurs as they kick people in the head. This is the media's team. They don't want you to know what nonviolent protests actually look like. When BLM lunatics call for the murder of police, and they do, the other networks act like it never happened. Here's yet another clip CNN will not be playing tonight. Your mother's umbilical cord should have wrapped around your neck and choked you just the way you choked George Floyd, you filthy animal. I know you got a gun, but so do I. Go ahead and shoot me. I'm shooting back. Am I lying, my comrade? You shoot me, I'm going to shoot you back. You need to be charged with murder. They need to hang you high. Not hang you low. They need to send you to the electric chair and let you fry like a piece of burnt bacon. Fry like a piece of burned bacon, calling for the killing, for the murder of other Americans. For months, elected Democrats have tacitly endorsed this, the violence in our streets. They inspired it. They watched it happen. They refused to condemn it. Jerry Nadler just pretended he had no idea what you were talking about when you asked. But this weekend, they dropped the pose. The blurry line between violent mob and Democratic officeholders disappeared completely. Here is John Thompson. He's a Democratic statehouse candidate in the state of Minnesota. Thompson, and we want to be clear about this, is not some fringe candidate. Thompson has won the endorsement of the governor of the state, Tim Walls, its Attorney General Keith Ellison, as well as of Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. 
But John Thompson isn't simply a Democratic candidate. He's also a violent thug. Here's Thompson the other day threatening a family, women and children, at their home. I'm a black man being terrorized by this Klansman right here. We are terrorized by the Grand Wizard. Y'all got the Grand Wizard living in your goddamn neighborhood. All the Klan exists in Hugo, Minnesota. And it's right here. Don't run now. Don't run now, racist white people. I'm here. Oh, yeah, we pull up. We pull the A normal political party would expel someone like that immediately. He's a lunatic screaming at women on their front lawn, obscenities, threats. A normal country would arrest him. But Democrats allowed Thompson to write a cynical non-apology for what you just saw, in which he concedes that his threats of violence against young women were, quote, not helpful. Why was Thompson allowed to do that? He was allowed to do that because Democratic leaders agree with what he said. Here's Kamala Harris explaining that people like Thompson are the good guys and everyone else, you, is a bigot and deserve what you get. You have one or one ticket that can say the phrase Black Lives Matter and another who has been full time sowing hate and division in our country. Oh, so what do you do with people who've been spending full time endorsing hate and division? You know. But in case that endorsement of violence in the streets was too subtle for you, here's Massachusetts Congresswoman Ayanna Pressley openly calling for political terrorism. Keep in mind, she said this on Saturday, this Saturday. Hold them accountable. Well, make the phone call, send the email, show up. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. And unfortunately, there's plenty to go around. There needs to be unrest in the streets, Congresswoman Presley said while her wish came true. A day later, a man was beaten nearly to death in Portland, apparently for the way he looked. Presley supports this explicitly today. Today, after that happened, that video has been on the Internet all day. Presley spoke at a virtual event at the Democratic National Convention and praised cities like Portland for, quote, rising up. We showed you what rising up looks like. It's innocent people kicked in the face until they're almost dead. Ayanna Presley isn't pretending anymore. None of them are. Here's what rising up looked like in Seattle last week. Give up your house. Give black people back their home. Thank you. You're sitting there comfortably. Yes. Comfortable as yes. in that house after by that neighborhood. I used to live in this neighborhood. But I used to live in this neighborhood. I used to live here and my family was pushed out. Yeah. And you're sitting out there having a good time with your other white friends. That's all. Let's not act like you just are oblivious to we don't like the way you look give us your house there's no excuse for this there's no rationale that justifies this and there's no society that can endure if this continues that just happened so where's the so-called civil rights division at the department of justice do they think this is okay Would it be okay if the colors were reversed? Oh, no, it wouldn't be. Then it's not okay in this case, because equality is a universal principle. It cannot be selectively defended or it means nothing, which is to say it means nothing. Our leaders no longer care about equality. As of tonight, some Americans aren't even allowed to drive on city streets, the streets they pay for. Take a look at this video from New York City. 
So to pass the roadblock on a city street, first you have to swear allegiance to their specific political faction. And if you don't, they threaten to hurt you. But keep in mind, this is not Beirut. No, really, we promise. This is New York City and everything's fine. It's fine. Stop complaining. Where's the federal government? Don't they have a constitutional obligation to ensure that your civil rights aren't violated for the way that you look? Yes, they do. That is their obligation. It's what they promised they would do. It's what you pay for. But they're terrified, too. Nobody wants to be criticized for opposing the mob. So they close their eyes and they hope it goes away. But it won't go away. Meanwhile, America tumbles backward. It's also sad. Bob Woodson has seen the... So here is the write-up by the Daily Wire. After a civilian allegedly crashed his car during riots in Portland last night, what was reported to be a leftist mob dragged the man out of his vehicle and can be seen on video beating him in front of his passenger. After a civilian crashed his car during the riots in Portland last night, was reported to be a leftist mob dragged the woman out of his vehicle, can be seen in video via why they pleased so. The victim was left bleeding, unconscious in the street. The streets were occupied by Black Lives Matter activists and Antifa rioters and agitators just that were reportedly blocking traffic from exiting the area. Just before the crash, agitators tackled a blonde woman to the ground and beat her. It's very violent. Moments after pulling the alleged victim from the car, the left-wing militant forced him to the ground and made him sit while they searched his belongings. When he stood up, the mob brutally beat him. One rioter reportedly identified as 26-year-old Marquise Keese Love charged the victim and directly kicked him in the head, knocking him out cold. Suspect film sported security vest, identifying him as part of the BLM pol- policing task force that protesters want to replace police with. Love was previously charged with fourth-degree assault and harassment in a 2017 domestic violence case booked at Washington County Community Correction Center in Hillsborough, Oregon. The Gateway Pundit reported that 4chan users have identified Love as an outspoken BLM activist, claiming on Facebook, it's for me and my son's culture. His profile lists him as a ramp agent at Portland International Airport and a DJ in the evening. Riders can be seen standing over the victim's unconscious body, pouring water on him, as they claim the attack in the name of Black Lives Matter. Anifa street medics examined the victim, still non-responsive. A police report said that the driver was transported to the hospital by ambulance. It took him till yesterday to get out. The post-millennial that he witnessed the multiple violent BLM and Antifa thugs throw fireworks at the man's truck, try to take his keys while violently assaulting him. D'Almeida noted that these Antifa medics don't understand C-spine immobilization, This looks like recovery position or left lateral recumbent, he tweeted, adding that the Anifa agents likely don't carry oropharyngeal or nasopharyngeal airways for resuscitation. In another angle of the BLM interrogation of the driver, Love can be seen cursing at him and punching his face. While a terrorist mob gathered around the man's limp body as he bleeds from his head, others robbed his truck. The post-millennial reached out to Love for comment, but he did not respond, of course. Police can be seen towing the victim's vehicle as rioters scream at officers, accusing them of protecting white nationalists. The condition of the victim is not yet known, but reporters at the scene know that 911 had been called. George Ventura, a field reporter for Daily Caller, 
was also present present and filmed the series of events that spiraled out of control. Ventura told the Post Millennial that he does not have an updated status on the victim, but police had arrived within 20 minutes. In scenes leading up to the attempted murder, the rioters were chasing a man away from the protest and assaulting him. He was a gay man. A person who appeared to be a trans woman holding a skateboard attempted to intervene. The rioters were angered by the trans woman speaking out against her violence, so they stole her skateboard and backpack before attacking her. The trans woman was left sobbing on the sidewalk and threatening to commit suicide. We out here for Black Lives Matter. Fuck these white cunts, rioters stated, threatening to beat a man who chastised them for assaulting and robbing the suicidal trans woman. The police who were targeted by the mob all appeared to be white. No arrests have been made. They know who he is. They just now are looking for him because it went viral. Andy NGO, graphic. With the streets in downtown Portland occupied by BLM and Antifa riders. A man crashed his car. The mob pulled him out, beat him senseless in front of the passengers. He's bleeding and unconscious. No police. This is the moment immediately before the mob assaults him and makes him sit on the ground while they search his belongings. When he stands up, they beat him. Earlier, rioters stand over the unconscious man's body after they beat him. They pour water on him and shout in support of Black Lives Matter. Antifa street medics are examining him. He didn't do nothing, bro. Shows the altercation that happened in downtown Portland before the car crashed. The BLM mob is beating a blonde woman, and they tackle her to the ground. He didn't do nothing, bro. Video by Live Matter Show. Shows the altercation that happened in downtown Portland before the car crashed. The BLM mob is beating a blonde woman. They tackle her to the ground. Another angle of the violent BLM interrogation of the driver is detained and forced to sit on the ground. The man who later kicks his head, curses at him, and starts punching his face, which was already bleeding. Police are towing the vehicle away. Riders are screaming at the police, saying they protect white supremacists. Status of unconscious drivers unknown. Earlier, riders stand over, and I'm reading all the tweets he did. More scenes of violence and theft tonight in downtown Portland involving BLM protesters. It looks like the person robbed and beaten by BLM protesters in downtown Portland tonight's trans woman. She pleads for a backpack. Her longboard was also stolen. Stolen. She may be transient. The man who tried to protect her was later beaten himself and kicked unconscious. We out here for Black Lives Matter. Fuck these white cunts. Rioters in Portland threaten to beat a man who chastises them for assaulting and robbing a suicidal trans woman in downtown. Tim Pool, my fucking God. He was trying to protect a trans woman and another woman, so they chased his car until he crashed, pulled him out, beat him within an inch of his life, then robbed him. Stephen L. Miller, was he a federal officer? Nick Kristoff? John Hayward, the last left-wing moral panic gave us a violent Marxist domestic terrorist organization with a billion-dollar corporate-funded war chest. Can't wait to see what the post office panic saddles us with. He's already true, because I got sound bites. So. Here is the complete montage of all the angles by numerous reporters that are not from MSNBC, CNN, ABC, NBC, and CBS, showing this mob beating people. 
Yeah, I'm an older guy. I'm just. Back up. Back up. Back up. Sidewalks. Sidewalks. 
Dead in the street for several hours before he even uh, blinked an eye. Oh, he's white. Oh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of cops got to help his ass. They gotta protect the racer. You're gonna break your shit, bro. Chill the fuck out. And then you really won't be able to get out of here. Stop. Yo, what are you doing? You didn't do nothing. You didn't do nothing, bro. Yeah, bro. Hey, we're gonna 
Turn him on the side. His neck is not broken. Turn him on the side. His neck is not broken. 
To date, we have proof they'd be black people, reporters, gay people, handicapped people, old ladies with BLM signs in their walker. But it's about the narrative. It's all about narrative. It's not about truth. The narrative is Trump's violent. These people aren't violent. Or if they admit they are violent, they say, well, it's Trump's fault. He's driven them to violence. Enemy of the people indeed. WAPO spit on BLM, Antifa thugs, robbing and beating senseless is something else. The Washington Post, to the credit, actually covered it, which I was surprised. Alex Griswold. Leopard attack? Bear, maybe? Help me out, David Ruiz. Man seriously injured an attack after crashing his truck during Black Lives Matter protest in Portland. Gerald Byer, well, whatever happened, he might have deserved it since he crashed his truck. How did he get injured? Oh, he crashed his truck. Well, good thing he wasn't punched or kicked in the head or anything. Others, man savagely beaten by Portland mob following car crash, shorter, clearer, truer. The media is still covering for the riot and the violence. They're willingly participating in gaslighting you. These people do not care about the truth. Enemy of the people. It took me all day to get to this. I actually used a VPN, not really use, and said I was in Canada, and that's how I could get it. Here's the whole article. This is the whole article. The heading, man seriously injured in an attack after crashing his truck during Portland Black Lives Matter protests in Portland, Katie Shepard. August 17th, 2020, 10.01 p.m., Portland, Oregon. I'm reading everything because it's such a short read. A man was seriously injured late Sunday when protesters beat him after he crashed his truck on a downtown sidewalk, authorities said. Portland police said they received a report at about 10.30 p.m. on Sunday that a man who has not been identified had been injured near the intersection of Southwest Broadway and Southwest Taylor Street. The incident occurred several blocks away from Black Lives Matter rally in front of the Justice Center, which houses the city's jail and police precinct. Oh, you're waiting for more? Yeah, there is none. That's it. That's the whole article. That's it. We don't do anything else. I mean, why would we? If it was a black guy beaten by a lockdown protest, oh, we'd be on that shit. We'd be all over that shit. The DNC convention would have led with it. Led with it. Because we can't have that. But a white guy? 
who Antifa went online and said was a white supremacist to cover up for what they did, and the blue check liberals went with that? Because, you know, that's the answer. Oh, okay. Guy was boiled alive. Was he a white supremacist? Yeah, okay. Check that block. But it's what they do. Selma director Ava DuVernay. There's no debate anymore. Elect Biden-Harris or more of us perish. There's no debate anymore. Michelle Obama, who I won't play, that's what she said. Their narratives are so crazy. Chicago that's having deaths all over the place. People unemployed, business going on work. There's a mass flight from every major city. They spent $66 million on a coronavirus facility that saw 38 fucking, 38 patients the whole time. But they won't spend a dime on violence. I mean, why would we? Then you got Denver City Councilwoman C. DeBaca wants to replace police department with a peace force. It didn't happen, thank God. But here's the article. Candy C. DeBaca wants to place a measure on the city's November ballot asking voters to abolish the Denver Police Department and create a peace force in this place. The actual language of this measure that DeBaca wants to place on the ballot has not yet been published, but the councilwoman filed a placeholder to City Council Monday agenda that bypassed the normal committee process. Her lack of specific ballot questions or communication with fellow council members may spell problems, and it did. Here's some of her rhetoric. This is what people have been demanding and asking us for last month. I would love for the public to be able to see how their elected representatives block them from having decision-making power. Calls to fund the Denver police, blah, blah, blah. Mayor Hart, council, blah, 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 blah. But she's caught off guard by the proposal. I'm interested in moving our money to addiction and mental health service. A social worker, the mayor said, but I don't know what that looks like. And we haven't had an actual conversation. Denver's public safety department amounts to about 46% of the total budget. And August 31st deadline Replacing a measure in the city's November ballot means there's very little time for such a substantial discussion. We don't have time to have a reasonable discussion about half our budget because between now and Monday from now, particularly since we don't have any tangible things to discuss. DeBaca pushed against that of thinking. It's a very privileged position to stand in. The sense of urgency I feel is a function of who I am, my social identities, and my colleagues have to privilege to do not feel the sense of urgency that I feel because I'm a person of color and I get beaten in the street every fucking day. Oh, no, 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 that doesn't happen. That's actually just random white people. That's that's what's happening. In this article, related articles, two teens injured is another violent weekend in Denver leaves three dead, seven wounded from shootings. Man shot, killed after stabbing railroad police officer near a National Western Complex. More than 200 police officers resigned or retired since Colorado's police reform bill became law. Yeah. You go. And then you have Chris Hayes. This is, all, this is why this all happens. David Weagle. 
All those years scaring diners for Trump voters when long-form riders could have been chilling on boats because there's been boat parades for Trump. All right. Chris Hayes. No, but actually it's a better representation of the base for real. Dave Weigel. I keep trying to make this point but don't want to be patronizing. The Florida man with a high school degree and a pile of disposable income really is a perfect Trump supporter. Chris Hayes. Correct. White men without a four-year degree and disposable income enough to buy a boat are genuinely the Trump base. They are so fucking horrible. Read the replies. Chris has some really nice and not at all condescending people following him. I'm not reading it. It's just horrible. It's what they think of anybody who's not them. They don't know that there's plenty of people four-year degrees that voted for Trump. They don't know there's plenty of veterans that voted for Trump. They don't know there's plenty of black people voted for Trump. They don't know that there's a shitload of Mexicans that fucking vote for Trump. They don't know any of that shit. They just label whole groups. This is the group. This is what it's like. Because what we said, you shut your fucking mouth. And then you have Anya Presley. When it comes to their policies, the cruelty is the point. And when it comes to their culture, the corruption uh, is the point. And so, again, nothing with them is surprising. Um, Donald Trump knows that his failings are on the ballot, that we have lost hundreds of thousands of American lives that were preventable. And that's just uh, the most egregious of his criminal negligence and sluggish response and science denials and his failures of leadership. He knows that those failures are on the ballot, that the occupant of the White House is is on the way to being um, a temporary one. And as Dan Rather reminds us, cheaters are gonna cheat. And so the only way um, that he thinks that he can be even remotely successful is to suppress and to undermine um, our democracy, beginning with the United States Postal Service, which again is a war on them and the livelihood of those essential workers and their families and those who re- who rely upon the critical services that the Postal Service provides. Uh, will the post office get funded? They need to be. Yeah. And we need to continue to this. Listen, I'm, I'm looking to the public. You know, this is as much about public outcry and organizing and mobilizing and applying pressure so that this GOP-led Senate and that these governors that continue to carry water for this administration, putting the American people in, in harm's way, um, turning a deaf ear to the needs of our families and our communities, hold them accountable. Well, make the phone call, send the email, show up. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. And unfortunately, there's plenty to go around. I have I have no retort to that, Congresswoman. That, that's certainly accurate. And thank you so much for coming on with me today. I'm looking forward to hearing from you all week as we kick off the uh, Democratic National Convention. I'm looking to the public. You know, this is as much about public outcry and organizing and mobilizing and applying pressure so that this GOP-led Senate and that these governors that continue to carry water for this administration, putting the American people in, in harm's way, um, turning a deaf ear to the needs of our families and our communities, hold them accountable. Well, make the phone call, send the email, show up. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. And unfortunately, there's plenty to go around. It's pushed for by our media. This is a great soundbite of horrible things the media are saying, showing you a liberal on the street just yelling on a random person. Okay, reparations ain't exactly coming yet, 
But it looks like the United States is finally ready to have the discussion about talking about reparations. Reparations, meaning that the United States would pay back black folks for all the free labor it got during slavery and all the damage done to the black community every day since. And there's no better place to have this conversation than New Orleans. There's no city in the country that combines the best of America's blackness, the pain of America's racism, and the pain of watching white folks exercising all their rights. Yikes. I've been coming to New Orleans since I was a kid. I just vacationed with my family here, so I know the city and its history. And as much as it's been identified as a party city, you can turn a corner and feel like you've walked smack dab into the antebellum south. Don't believe me? Just as I pulled into town, New Orleans was hosting a reenactment of a slavery rebellion. At least I think it was a reenactment. These black folks look serious. The rebellion happened in 1811. And I don't have to tell you it wasn't successful. Because we all know slavery didn't end in 1811. And while Joe Biden is improving in the national polls, what's amazing is we've got 30 million people unemployed, yet the president does better on the economy. We've got in most major cities crime on the rise, yet the president doing better on crime. What is the most important message you want to get across to voters right now? Uh, What's most important, Stephanie, is that people remember what happened in 2016. And so many of the polls, Hillary Clinton was leading going into the election. And then we saw what happened. And so it is so important that we not take anything for granted. Then given the chaos and the debacle that you're referencing, why on earth does this president poll well when it comes to the economy and crime? We are in a crisis. It, it's it's concerning to me, and that I can't speak to because I, I'm not quite sure how anyone thinks that this is sustainable. Um, what's most concerning to me, even as I look at where we are with the Postal Service and I watched your last segment, what's happening with Donald Trump is that he's normalizing authoritarian behavior. Um, this man is attempting to interfere very openly with the election in November. Please. Why? I mean it. Why? Right? Why? Why are you going to call the police? You're supposed to keep two metres apart because the virus is going on at the moment. I'm in a car. Doesn't matter. I'm in a car. Doesn't matter. What are you, you on about? You haven't got my problem, okay? I'm in a car. <laughs> so go. <laughs> I meant to meet you keep two metres apart. Before I put my phone out and call the police. What are you on about? Oh. Go on. <laughs> I 100% blame this on the media. And the reason why I do is nobody ever asks any questions, does any pushback, when they just make shit up. I mean, Presley right there is just like a call to arms to African Americans. We're going to play her twice today. She's in the woke section. Where literally she just says outlandish shit. And they get away with it. I mean, I had a whole article, but trending on Twitter was wrong brother because the media and media members mock the death of Trump's brother. That was okay. They wrote better articles about Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Here's a Washington Post. Robert Trump, younger brother, President Trump, who filed lawsuit against Nice, dies at 71. 
Abu Akbar al-Baghdadi, austere religious scholar at helm of Islamic State, dies at 48. How? Then they went back and changed it to Robert Trump, younger brother, President Trump, dies at 71. After people said, hey, look it, you, you fucking... You fucking baboons. You wrote better about a guy in ISIS. But that's what they do. They're so in line with the Democrats. You know, every soundbite will play for the DNC convention, which is a shit show. I mean, last night, AOC um, nominated by uh, Bernie. In their bylaws, you have to have people nominate the two people, and then at the end, the one person puts all the support together. It's, we went through this in 2016. But they explained it in 2016. So on their shit show, remote-aired crap, they never explained it to the people, and the whole world was up in arms. Why would AOC nominate Bernie instead of doing Biden? They should have done Biden. It's a shit show. But you can't hear that on the media. Michelle Obama is the greatest person on the planet right now. And if you criticize him, you're a piece of shit. And I said to him, yeah, I did. That wasn't a Freudian slip. They can say, do whatever they want. There is no recourse because why would there be? I mean, why? They're their party. That's who they side with. So as we head out, I'm going to play USPS protest. No music today. Because we're going to come straight in to our narrative section. And there are three conspiracy theories that were all wrong, no media corrected it, that made people lose their fucking mind and believe that the United States Post Office, an organization who backed Biden for president because they're a fucking union, is in cahoots to steal the election. And I want you to remember, these people are the same people that pushed all the COVID crazy, so why you can't get a box in a timely manner from the USPS because of all the restrictions they're working under right now. And these are the same people that said anybody who went out and said they didn't want to be locked down was a white supremacist. They're out protesting the Postmaster General's fucking house. So COVID must not be that bad if you can go find where he lives and harass the postmaster general. Hey, bro, you're not leaving, bro. Uh, 
this mail-in voting scandal with these changes that are being made to the post office right now do they represent a real threat to the to the uh, health of this election it, it could I mean it, there, there's a there's a good chance you're gonna have huge backlogs of mail across the country as you see these cutbacks in overtime and other changes the Postal Service is making now the Postal Service is equipped to get out billions of pieces of mail they do it every Christmas. The question is what, how, how these cutbacks are going to affect that combined with moves to uh, limit when, at what, at what point mail has to be postmarked in order to be counted. I think one thing that is very likely is if we have a close election, even if large numbers of voters are not disenfranchised, it's going to take an awful long time to count uh, those votes and that could lead to questions about the legitimacy of the election. All of it, of course, against the backdrop of this postal service crisis we know that the USPS yeah. can handle a lot of mail, right? We see it every year around the holidays, but these changes at the post office have a lot of people concerned about what this means for mail-in ballots. What needs to happen to restore potentially public confidence to get things back on track here? Well, I think, it, number one, what needs to happen to establish public confidence is the president needs to sort of back off on his rhetoric here. I do think he he is added to this um, concern uh, that people have about the mail, but physically it seems as if, you know, it's hard to ignore all these anecdotal uh, reports all around the country, whether it's slow mail in Montana, removed mailboxes in Oregon. There's just a lot of odd stuff happening at an odd time. And I'll say this, Hallie, 
I think this is extraordinarily risky for the president on the political front because one of his bases of support is rural America. Well, the Postal Service is extraordinarily not only popular in rural America, it's arguably mm. as important of a lifeline as there is in this country. Slowing down the mail um, is going to hurt him with voters that are normally very, very supportive of him. He is, I really think he is playing with fire here. Priority mail in an emergency move. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi calls lawmakers back to Capitol Hill to deal with post office cutbacks and delays, accusing the president of trying to sabotage the election. The issue that is now hanging over the entire race, a postal service crisis that threatens to impact mail-in voting. Neither snow nor rain nor heat could do it, but now those operational changes implemented by the Trump-appointed Postmaster General have slowed down mail delivery. In a letter to Democrats, Pelosi accuses President Trump of a campaign to sabotage the election by manipulating the Postal Service to disenfranchise voters. Postal Service showdown. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi calls the House back into emergency session. The Postmaster General, a Trump donor in the hot seat, Democrats accuse him of trying to silence millions of voters. Speaker Pelosi taking that dramatic action, declaring lives, livelihoods, and the life of our American democracy are under threat. Calling every member of the House back to Washington for a rare Saturday session this weekend to address the crisis in the U.S. Postal Service and growing questions about the November election. Postal showdown. Speaker Nancy Pelosi calls the House back for a vote on service cuts to the Postal Service ahead of this election. Rising tensions in the political fight over the U.S. Postal Service and efforts to ensure a fair and safe election during this pandemic U.S. Postmaster General Louis DeJoy's home was the target of protesters over the weekend who accused him of undermining the service in order to suppress the votes. It has gone from muddying the waters, trying to sow you know, discord and doubt, to blatantly saying, we don't want to give the post office the money because we want to make sure that an American's right to vote isn't counted. He comes out and says it, that in, in his mind there is a connection. He does not want to uh, fund the post office so, so that uh, he can stop mail-in voting from being implemented across the country and hamper the post office's ability to process millions of ballots. Uh, I can't tell you uh, how, how uh, unusual and alarming that is, frankly. There is a definitional struggle over democracy right now, a literal struggle over democracy and the ability to vote that's going on around the country. And some of it's playing out right before our very eyes in explicit terms. That is what, as you so rightly point out, Abby, was so stunning about yesterday. The president just flat out said. Absolutely. Uh, this idea that the pandemic is simply going to go away in the fall is not true. And in fact, there are even more concerns that it could be worse because we could be dealing with uh, the flu, the seasonal flu on top of the pandemic. I've talked to so many voters who are concerned because this is really life and death for them. They have um, immunocompromised systems. They are cancer survivors, cancer patients. They do not want to be going out and standing in line uh, to vote by ballots. And states don't want that either. The president doesn't seem to care about that at all. And we know why, Erica. He has said he thinks that mail-in voting will hurt Republicans. I thought this was just a one-off. And, and it's not. It has gone crazy. The media is talking about it. It's so crazy. There's a damn rep from Oregon. He tweeted this. They're not getting this one. 
Now remember, we put out last time, most of this came from the fact that the Postmaster General said that 46 states couldn't pull it off. Just being honest. Mia Farrow. Yeah, she starts one in Oregon. A friend in Portland, Oregon, sound the alarm as post boxes are being removed from neighborhoods. He sent this pic. Susan Rice, what the hell? Joe Biden himself commented on the photo at a fundraiser saying they're going around literally with tractor trailers picking up mailboxes. You ought to go online and check out what they're doing in Oregon. I mean, it's bizarre. Biden on USPS virtual fundraiser tonight, per Holly Rotten. They're going around, blah, blah, blah. You ought to go online and check it out. They're doing it in Oregon. I mean, it's bizarre. No pushback. Nobody, no media said, hey, Joe Biden's going with a conspiracy. Matt Whitlock, the explanation, they're replacing old mailboxes with new ones. That's why. Okay, it's one thing for the actors from Halloween to spread conspiracy theories. She's seen some things. But the former White House National Security Advisor following suit is pretty nuts. Because she did. Logan Dobson, gotta say... If whoever's doing the election rigging decide the best place to start with, we're only in Portland, they should be fired. Because they they believe it. Then there's another one. Burbank. Locked mailboxes in Burbank. Can a Trump supporter honestly explain this to me for real? I'd love to know why. Lenny Jacobson. He's a blue check for some reason. Rex Chapman. Burbank, California. In your entire life, have you ever seen a locked mailbox at USPS? Now you have a disgrace and immediate threat to American democracy. Shame on them. Shame on the GOP. Where are you, Senate Majority Leader? Quinn Cummings. Burbank leaps from tedious to fascism. Yvette wants you to please just wear the fucking mask. That's her handle. The strangest alarm I keep seeing raised over and over is that the Burbank post office is locked. It's Sunday night. So, of course, it's locked. Is there ever a Sunday night where you expect the post office not to be locked? Burbank is trending for some photos showing the USPS mailbox outside the Burbank office locked. However, this seems to have suggested, seemed to have happened as early as May. Unclear the exact reason. One suggestion was an issue with mail theft. Jenny Johnson, the locked USPS mailboxes by the Burbank post office might be locked for a reason other than Trump. Thieves raiding Valley mailboxes prompt postal service to take action. On a recent Sunday night, Mike Bloodworth spotted some fishing going on. It looked like someone was going fishing, but there was no stream or pond nearby. It was the mailbox. From a 2016 Daily News article about that, explains the locks are in place to keep people from stealing the mail inside, and they're put on after the last collection of the day. Bloodsworth suspected the person who was about to break into the blue Big boob mailbox across the street from Van Nuys' home. So he turned his lights on and the person hustled off. In the last couple of days, I've noticed people fishing in the mailbox trying to pull mail out. I've seen it happen three other times before. It's usually three or four in the morning. People come to box and loiter and then stick the fishing tool in. Turns out the fishing or stealing mail has become so common, the postal officials have been retrofitting boxes around the San Fernando Valley and other areas to make them more tamper-proof said Richard G. Mayer, spokesman for the post office operation in Los Angeles and Orange County. Greg Polowitz, are you not checking your mentions? This is from 2016 on why the locks are in place. 
Rex Chapman. It's not. Haunted Dog. I just drove there. There was a guy taking photos because he saw the inaccurate post on Twitter. I showed him that there were slots on the other side. I have no idea why I called them holes like English is my 13th language. Here is where people can mail their letters at Burbank PO. They lock the other side and the lobby is locked when the post office is closed. It's very dangerous to post misinformation. It panics people, especially during a scary era. Rex Chapman, blatant old white bullshit in our faces. Greg Polowitz, the honest thing for Rex, Rex Chapman to do is delete this tweet and apologize, but he won't. Then there's another one. San Francisco Chronicle sounds the alarm on disappearing mailboxes, but there's a tiny problem. Gerald Byer, if a mailbox gets fewer than 25 pieces of mail per day over a six to eight week period, it gets targeted for removal. The Postal Service posts a 30-day warning notice on the mailbox during which time people can complain to the postmaster. Actual article from SFGate. Mailbox is disappearing as usage drops off. Chalk up another casualty of the digital revolution. The blue corner mailbox, because of steeply declining use, the U.S. Postal Service has removed more than 60% of the blue boxes. South Florida Sun Sentinel. Mailbox disappearing from South Florida as Postal Service struggles with deficit. WSAW. Blue mailboxes disappearing nationwide. 13 in Wausau. You may have noticed hard to find those blue mailboxes. Nita Leveld. Disappearing mailboxes. Newsom hair gel. Get you morning scoop of Metro News from today in LA Times. Gerald Byer again. 2011 and 1985 near nearly 400,000 blue mailboxes graced America's streets. Now only 160,000 remain and more are vanishing every day. SeattlePI.com. It shows you USPS mailboxes, 365,000. Number of mailboxes nationwide, 2,000, 160. Number of mailboxes nationwide in 2011, 160. I'm sorry. He, this one's really fucked up. 25 pieces. Mail, m- mail, a mail, mail, a mailbox must receive each day to remain in operation. 35% drop at first class mail since 2006. Photojournalist, actual reporting and puts Reuter and others to shame for context-free pile of mailbox photos that help feed the dim narrative. Reuter's picture, United States Postal Service mailboxes are seen stacked in an industrial lot in Hartford, Wisconsin. Gary He. Okay, so everyone has seen the viral photo going around of piles of mailboxes in Wisconsin being used as evidence that Trump is sabotaging USPS. Problem is, they have been there for years. Hartford Finishing Inc. powder coats and refurbishes old mailboxes. This is a intentional... I'm sorry, I fucked this up. Let me go back to where the page was. When I called up Hartford Finishing Inc., a woman on the phone confirmed that they have a government contract for the mailbox refurbishing and then they get them from all over and make them look good again. This is where I have to give some tough love to my friends at Reuters. They sent a staff photog to these mailboxes and then posted them to a wire labeling the side of the mailbox as just an industrial lot when context is entire job of journalism. 
To find this location on Google, you have to search for Hartford Finishing. It's a side road, not like you could spot the mailboxes from a highway. The sign for the business is 20 feet away from the mailboxes. To admit all this from the caption is journalistic malpractice. Let's be clear. The Reuters picture photos are very good and has stock art for pile of mailboxes. It works. But Reuters is one of the best news organizations in the world, and telling the full story and context is everything. This is an intentional omission, especially since Reuters is a wire service. Other news orgs are going to use these pictures as evidence of Trump tampering with the USPS. When it's later revealed that it was just a place where mailbox could refurbish, trusted news organization is further eroded. Is, is having a photo go viral or worth it? It's at the expense of journalistic integrity. I think at the very least, my friends at Reuter Pictures should issue a caption correction for every single one of these frames and alert editors that have used them to get to, out of context. For the non-journalist out there, I get it. You're anxious about the election. And maybe there are shenanigans going on. But this is the wrong way to conduct journalism and why you don't run stories based on random info on social media without vetting the hell out of it. Having said all that, Molly Jong fast. I'm still in a blind rage about the President of the United States fucking with the post office. Other people. You mean Obama to her? Because half of them are from Obama. Walter Cronkite. And that's the way it is. Thousands of Seattle Democrats gathered to demand mail-in voting because it's too dangerous to vote in per- person. They are crowded in a court square. There, there's got to be 3,000 people shoved in there. Because it's too dangerous to vote in person. Way dangerous. I mean, these people have so many conspiracy theories. It's really hard to keep up with all of them. I mean, literally, super duper hard. Here's a vet. Because now at every protest, there's a vet who's out there. And Tucker Carl Carlson, who actually turned me on to this story. Can't see nothing in front of me. Can't see nothing coming up behind. Making way through this darkness. Can't feel nothing but this chain that grinds me. Lost track of how far I've gone. I've gone how high I climb on the backs of sixty pounds stone on the shoulder hit my line come on
stand for. We choose hope over fear, truth over lies, and yes, unity over division. It's time for us to lift our heads up, open our hearts, and remember who we are. We are the United States of America. I mean this. There's not a single thing we cannot do if we do it together. Because of her treatment, you would think it would embarrass the city. We'll find out in the coming weeks. But as of right now, I don't see that happening because not enough people are stepping up. And I feel like they are too scared to. So people need to uh, get that courage, summon up that courage and realize people are on your side. And at the same time, alone in her apartment, speaking to the mirror, Governor Stacey Abrams of Georgia will do the very same thing. And she wants to thank you for the unprecedented level of support she received. She looks forward to running this country. Now, Abrams will not be allowed to say that from the stage of the DNC, of course. Party leaders won't let her do that. The whole point of a convention is to highlight a party's most popular positions while keeping its crazies hidden from public view. But what if suddenly everyone in the party goes crazy? What if there are no sane people left? Well, then you get what we're seeing right now. Democrats have spent the last week outlining a conspiracy so wicked so brazen and dangerous it makes Russiagate look like jaywalking. According to elected Democrats and the news media they control, the President of the United States is working to eliminate the U.S. mail. Now, Trump isn't closing the post office. That would require an amendment to the Constitution. No, it's far worse than that and much sneakier. Trump is stealing the mailboxes, driving through Democratic neighborhoods in the middle of the night, tossing them in the back of his station wagon, cackling like the madman he is. Or having his lackeys do it. Either way, the effect is the same. With no mailboxes, Democrats won't be able to vote. Donald Trump is stealing the election. And here's the thing. Democrats can't call to complain about it. It turns out that someone took all the payphones too. Can you imagine? Apparently, Joe Biden read all about this on Facebook or some website whose name he can't remember. But it was all there. Biden was so upset he almost snarfed his Metamucil. He was still ranting about it during a virtual fundraiser on Friday as he told the crowd, quote, they're going around literally with tractor trailers picking up mailboxes. You want to go online and check out what they're doing in Oregon. I mean, it's bizarre. Got that? Literally with tractor trailers in Oregon. The funny thing is, Oregon hasn't voted for a Republican in a presidential election in more than 35 years, and it definitely won't this year, mailboxes or not. So it's unclear what exactly Trump might be gaining from taking Oregon's mailboxes. But whatever, it's just wrong. Former Vice President Al Gore, who increasingly looks like a wax effigy of himself, went on CNN the other day to make that point. By tampering with the Postal Service, he is in effect putting his knee uh, on the neck of American democracy. Stealing mailboxes, says Al Gore is nothing less than Trump putting his knee on the neck of democracy. The blood is draining from America's face. We are fast losing consciousness. As you can imagine, this caught the media's attention. Without pausing to see if it was true, they rushed to their cameras to repeat it. 
essential sorting machines removed, blue mailboxes literally hauled away on flatbed trucks. The mailboxes being picked up and stacked up. What's that about other than voter suppression? They're seeing some of their mailboxes in their communities uprooted. Uh, that's a problem. People are worried about the post office. You know, you're seeing, you know, uh, the mailboxes being taken away. Can we vote? What's going on? The removal of uh, mailboxes, uh, the removal of equipment within the postal offices and the rest is to undermine the postal service at a time when the postal services need it now more than ever. Are you listening to this? They're literally hauling away mailboxes on flatbed trucks. And Phil Rucker of the Washington Post, for one, is not going to stand for it. Phil Rucker of the Washington Post thinks that disappearing mailboxes are a major problem. His boss, Nancy Pelosi, agrees with that. But since Pelosi is the Speaker of the House and not a hacked reporter at Jeff Bezos' daily newspaper, Pelosi can actually do something about it. That's why she's in charge and not Phil Rucker. Pelosi announced that she's calling back the Congress from summer vacation to deal with this. Pelosi said it is time for a legislative branch to save democracy from Donald Trump, whom she announced is trying to, quote, sabotage the election by manipulating the Postal Service. By the way, it's not just the election. Trump is also trying to starve old people whom he hates despite being one. With no Postal Service, Pelosi said seniors may not be able to get their Social Security checks in the mail. Now, Nancy Pelosi is 80 years old, so you'd think she'd know that the government hasn't used the Postal Service to send those checks since 2013. Ah, in other words, we can now be pretty sure that Nancy Pelosi doesn't live on her Social Security benefits or even notice them. But don't tell the rest of the House Democrats. They are riled up. Some have called for the FBI to investigate the Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy. And not long after they said that, their militia showed up outside DeJoy's house. This is a big story. So the question is, who is stealing all those mailboxes? And it's actually an interesting tale, if you get into the details of it. Consider a recent tweet from New Jersey Congresswoman Mickey Sherrill, who might not be the smartest member of Congress. Sherrill posted a photograph yesterday of a truck filled with mailboxes. The Postal Service, she wrote, is being, quote, systematically dismantled here in New Jersey and around the country. Then a few hours later, Mickey Sherrill wrote this, quote, at least one post office box has been replaced. We'll continue to provide more information as we have it. Hear that? More information as we have it. Mickey Sherrill is like her own 24-hour news service. And just like CNN, Sherrill didn't bother to check her facts before going on air. By contrast, former National Security Advisor Susan Rice did do some reporting on the subject, and we laud her for that. Rice checked with actress Mia Farrow. And actress Mia Farrow claimed that mailboxes were being removed to disenfranchise Democratic voters, so Susan Rice tweeted that. Susan Rice's tweet was shared by more than 30,000 people. A lot of Americans saw it. Now, it was totally false, but it's still up. Rice is not a Republican, so Twitter is fine with that. No violation of their terms. As a matter of fact, we try to stick to facts, nobody is stealing America's mailboxes. This is another hoax. It's another lie. It was totally made up in order to manipulate you. The post office moves mailboxes as a matter of course and has for many years. Donald Trump did not order this. It is normal. A 2017 report from the USPS Inspector General, for example, notes that the Postal Service has removed 14,000 mailboxes over the preceding five years. This has been going on since at least 2009. 
in 2009 was the same year, by the, the way, next that Barack President Obama, of the who United presided over this horrific mass mailbox removal, delivered the following assessment of the U.S. mail. People say, well, how can a private company compete against the government? If you think about it, uh, you know, UPS and FedEx are doing just fine. Right? The, the, uh, no, they are. I mean, it's, it's the post office that's always having problems. Wait, what? Did you hear that? Talk about an unexpected twist. Ladies and gentlemen, the great mailbox conspiracy of 2020 turns out to be bigger and more complex than we realized. Barack Obama is in on it, too. Don't tell Susan Rice. So what is this really about in real life? Well, last week, the president refused to hand over $3.5 billion to the Postal Service in recent stimulus negotiations. That was money that would go toward mail-in voting. This is what they're mad about. That was a blow to one of Nancy Pelosi's top priorities. Democrats favor mail-in voting. Democrats favor any form of voting that does not entail actual voters going to actual polling places. They refer to this as, quote, ballot access, like it's a civil rights issue. It is not a civil rights issue. Votes cast by mail are easier to tamper with. The identities of the voters who cast them are harder to verify. Mail-in voting makes voter fraud easier. That's why we haven't had a lot of it throughout American history, and that's why Democrats are for it. And we have seen fraud. There's no mail-in voter fraud. That's a lie. Just in the past few months, for example, a postal worker in West Virginia pleaded guilty to altering mail-in ballots. Four men in New Jersey stand accused of fraud after the USPS found hundreds of ballots in a single mailbox in a local city council election. In Clark County, Nevada, more than 200,000 mail-in votes from the recent primary election have been declared undeliverable. Those are local and statewide elections. Imagine this on a national scale during a presidential election. Imagine it magnified across 50 states. What would be the effect of that? Well, there would be no way to assure the integrity of the presidential election. Oh, right. That's precisely the point. In July, the Boston Globe described how a group of Biden operatives, including John Podesta, had a secret war game in which they gamed out the presidential election this fall. Here's how the Boston Globe described one scenario in which Podesta took Biden's role. Quote, Mr. Podesta, playing Mr. Biden, shocked the organizers by saying he felt his party wouldn't let him concede. Alleging voter suppression, he persuaded the governors of Wisconsin and Michigan to send pro-Biden electors to the Electoral College. Oh, not crazy. Both Democratic governors. Eventually, in the scenario that Podesta outlined at the war games, Americans, quote, stopped looking to the media for cues and waited to see what the military would do, end quote. So John Podesta is gaming out how the United States military can put Joe Biden in office. And that tells you a lot about how Democrats are thinking about this election. Making up bizarre stories about how Donald Trump steals mailboxes may be ludicrous. But stories like that make America even more paranoid and fearful than it already is. And that's the point. Stories like this prepare voters for the day that the Democrats call in the generals to make Joe Biden president. Joe Biden, and this has a ton of attention, has vowed to bring back the individual mandate from Obamacare that forced people to buy health care they didn't want or need. What effect would that have on the country? Dr. Mark Siegel has been thinking about this. He's a Fox News medical contributor. We're happy to have him on tonight. Doctor, good to see you. Tucker, I have a message for the former vice president. We're in the middle of a pandemic here. And you know what? 
we had a problem. We didn't have enough testing and we didn't have enough personal protective equipment for our doctors and nurses on the front lines. And we didn't have hazard pay. And we didn't have early treatments or vaccine ready. You know one thing we had plenty of? Plenty of insurance, Mr. Vice President. Plenty of insurance. Not once did I hear one patient say I wasn't covered. So you would think, being that we're a country of facts, somebody would fact check it, right? USA Today fact check flags leftist Instagram post office conspiracy as partly false. The wall conspiracy theory sowed by the Democrats' intentional delays of post office are at odds with the independent fact checker. Ellie Lee at USA Today declared it partly false that President Trump is intentionally slowing USPS deliveries to undermine mail-in voting and mailed ballots need two weeks. Lee chose a checked viral post making their way around Instagram. A viral Instagram post says USPS told Americans to allow ballots 14 days round trip, making election day for mail-in voters October 20th on November 3rd. Trump cronies are intentionally slowing USPS deliveries to undermine mail and voting. Mail delivery is slower now than at the peak of COVID in April, user Nobody Sweetheart told USA Today. Search the Save USPS tag for primary source for the Washington Post and other major papers. The Instagram account is operated by an artist and comedian calling herself Dynamo, and her page looks like a festival of Democratic memes. Lee ran through the argument from the left about the new postmaster general being major donor to the Trump super PAC, but in the end, the USPS denied it. We're not slowing down election mail or any other mail, Marty Johnson with USPS told USA Today. Instead, we continue to employ a robust and proven process to ensure proper handling, blah, blah, blah. Likewise, White House Deputy Press Secretary Sarah Matthews told the paper the notion that the President of the United States would slow down postal service to delivery to millions of people across country is baseless and absurd, insisting the President wants the postal service to run more efficiently like a business. The claim that Trump is intentionally slowing USPS deliveries to undermine mail-in voting and the USPS says voters should allow 14 days for mail ballots is partly false because some of it was not supported by our own research. It's true that the USPS says voters should request their ballots at least 15 days prior to Election Day, though some states have different in deadline. But it's false to say mail is intentionally being slowed, despite reports that a new USPS system might inherently cause delays. The Trump administration said the president did not direct USPS to slow down deliveries. But the rest of that, from Jamie Lee Curtis stealing trucks... Locking boxes. It, no, nobody did it. Tom Elliott, Trump on whether he's slowing down the mail. Not at all. Wouldn't do that. No, I have encouraged everybody to speed up the mail, not slow the mail. I also want to have post office that runs without losing billions of dollars. You know, I didn't get my narrative bumper done, but it's this is what it is. It's a narrative. It is the only way they get people to vote is to scare them. And so you scare them that there's voter disenfranchisement. Nobody has had the temerity to ask Democrats, why are you so for this mail-in voting? Is it because you're going to pad the votes? Nobody's done that. No. They just continue to fearmonger. Here's CNN and MSNBC. It's what Republicans do. Make sure brown people don't vote. I want to get to CNN's chief legal correspondent now, Jeffrey Tubman. Jeffrey, what the hell is going on? How are you, by the way? 
I'm I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's this is scary, Don. I gotta say. I mean, you know, it's been Republican Party policy for decades to try to stop Democrats from voting. You know, whether it's uh, you know closing polling places in the South, whether it's you know photo ID requirements, limiting early voting, limiting absentee voting. This is has been national policy. But it's usually kind of dressed up um, as something other than it is. Well, there's not even any pretense about what the president is doing now. He is saying he wants to starve the Postal Service because he wants Democrats not to vote. He said that. He didn't, he, this isn't an interpretation. This is what he said. And, and the chilling thing about it is, you know, given the structure of the federal government, there's really not a lot that the Democrats or anyone can do about it. He's the president. They run the administration. There are only 80 some or so days till the election. They're not subpoenas that can be issued from the House. You can't force the Postal Service to do its job. Only the people running the Postal Service can force them to do its job. And the people running the Postal Service seem determined to try to limit participation in this election. Wow. Wow. And how are you? <laughs> Other than that, how was the play? You know how that goes, right? The convention, of course, gets underway tonight, and, and you're singing Mr. Biden's praises now. But a few months ago, you were somewhat critical of the vice president, and there are still uh, a, a significant number of folks in your party, a large, a large swath of the Democratic Party, the progressive wing of the party, of which you've become a standard bearer. They say that Mr. Biden and Senator Harris are not representative of that particular part of the the party, the progressive wing of the party. Why should progressives come around now, Senator? Look, we are united and we're going to show that this week. We are going to show that in November. You mentioned at the end of your campaign the role of sexism and and how that contributed uh, to to you not getting the nomination, perhaps. Senator Harris, black woman, uh, how concerned are you that, that sexism and or racism is, is going to play a role this time around. Look, Donald Trump is going to do his best to raise every racist, nasty, ugly, false argument that he can. A brand new NBC News Wall Street Journal poll shows that 30% of voters say they plan to vote by mail this year amid the coronavirus pandemic. Also on the rise, the number of returned ballots being rejected. Joining me now from Joe Biden's hometown of Wilmington, Delaware, is NBC Shaquille Brewster. He recently spent time inside a Kentucky clerk's office where decisions are being made about which ballots to reject and which to accept. Shaq, what did you learn? Amy, you know, this spring and summer, we saw many states scramble to expand their vote-by-mail options. So many voters use vote-by-mail for the very first time. And while that expanded that safe access to the polls during this coronavirus pandemic, it also revealed a new issue, one that many groups are now working quickly to correct ahead of November. Several days before Kentucky's June primary, Travis Tackett cast his ballot by mail to protect his immune-compromised roommate. And then election day comes, you think you voted? Yeah, I even got the sticker saying I voted. But then he got a letter from his county clerk telling him his vote didn't count. What really infuriated me was that this came in around July 5th. It told me to verify my signature and have it returned by June 29th. 
To stop the coronavirus spread, states like Kentucky slashed in-person polling locations, but expanded absentee voting. Votes by mail jumped, but so did the issues with those ballots. 102,000 votes tossed in California, nearly 20,000 rejected in battlegrounds Ohio and Florida, and in Kentucky, more than 32,000. The most common issues, missed deadlines, unsealed envelopes, and missing signatures. In East Kentucky's Pike County, home to around 60,000 people, including Travis, his toss ballot was a decision made here in the clerk's office, where they've seen a 1,600% increase in requests for mail-in ballots. There were uh, three days I never went to bed here. I stayed here day and night. County Clerk Rhonda Taylor was able to use emergency federal funding to hire additional staff like Danny Coleman to scrutinize more than 5,000 absentee ballots. I did not want to let any vote not count. They say often giving voters the benefit of the doubt. If it looked a little bit wet, if it looked a little bit sealed, that ballot still is counted. You could tell by the smear of glue. Yeah, you could hold it up to the lot and tell if, if you know, there's been any attempt at all. Even a small percentage of rejections is raising alarm bells for November. It's a significant problem, but it's also a problem that we can fix because we can identify it. The most absurd thing about all of this is the simple fact that it was the left that did Jim Crow laws. It was the left that did poll taxes. It was the left that didn't want to free slaves. Nobody ever says it, nor does anybody say, I mean, there's a picture of chalk drawings, free my mail, big crowd protesting outside a DC home, a Trump donor and postmaster general, Louis DeJoy saved the USPS. Now they're putting fake blank ballots on the front door of the building for delivery among the chalkings, free my mail. These people don't mail anything. They don't give a fuck about the mail. They're the reason why this is trashed. Nor do journalists have the temerity to do the right thing. Hey, USPS, who do I talk to there? Try to solve a problem because by your severe incompetence, your phones aren't even set up right. Jake Tapper, hello. What is your inquiry regarding the U.S. Post Service? USPS, the package is supposed to be delivered Saturday in time for Mother's Day. It arrived today. Why? U.S. Postal Service, Jay Tapper, we apologize for delay. It's likely due to a large number of packages being shipped for Mother's Day and higher sorting volume. Crypt, are you going to blame Trump? Oh, wait. This was 2014. There was no national outrage in 2014. I mean, I did not have on my bingo card the left would say Trump is fucking with the mail. I I I never thought that would be a thing. I mean, did anybody think that's a thing? I, I didn't. I mean, what in the fucking fuck is wrong with you? You made this. This is the rules you wanted. You coveted the fuck out of things. I have not got an Amazon package on time since January. Ordered a pillow that was due Monday. Didn't get it till yesterday. Didn't blame Trump. But the narrative, it works so well for their narrative. They're not going to let you vote. 
especially if you're brown, especially if you're gay, especially if you're a woman. We're going to hit all the bells and whistles, and the media is going to play along with it because they don't want him to get elected. So that's our postal service. We're going to move on to the first night of the DNC convention. And I just wanted to remember, before we do the most hypocritically, intellectually dishonest thing I've ever seen in my life, a party ever do. In 2016, this was the Democratic National Committee. The chair recognizes the delegate from Ohio, the chair of the platform drafting committee, former governor Ted Strickland. Mr. Chairman, I move that we suspend the rules to permit an amendment to the platform adopted by this convention last night. Governor Strickland has made a motion on the floor to suspend the rules. Is there a second? A motion to suspend the rules to permit the amendment to the platform has been moved and seconded. This is a non-debatable motion requiring a two-thirds vote. All of those in favor of suspending the rules, say aye. Aye. All those opposed, say no. In the opinion of the chair, there's been a two-thirds affirmative vote to suspend the rules. Governor, would you like to make your motion? Uh, Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, This summer, I was proud to serve this party as the platform drafting committee chair. As the chair, I come before you today to discuss two important matters related to our party's national platform. As an ordained United Methodist minister, I am here to attest and affirm that our faith and belief in God is central to the American story and informs the values we've expressed in our party's platform. In addition, President Obama recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and our party's platform should as well. Mr. Chairman, I have submitted my amendment in writing and I believe it is being projected on the screen for the delegates to see. I move adoption of the amendment as submitted and shown to the delegates. A motion has been made. Is there a second? Is there any further discussion? Hearing none, the matter requires a two-thirds vote in the affirmative. All those delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed say no. In the opinion of the... Let me do that again. All of those delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed say no. I, um, I guess... I'll do that one more time. All those delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed say no. In the opinion of the chair, two-thirds have voted in the affirmative. The motion is adopted and the platform has been amended as shown on the screen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Governor Strickland, thank you again for your service. Governor Strickland, thank you again for your service. 
as chair of the Platform Drafting Committee. Now, everyone, please rise for the invocation offered by Bishop Vashti McKenzie. They booed God. This is the party that booed God. This is the party that's always getting caught not having enough flags. And then by the last time they have flags everywhere. This is the party that say the national anthem is racist. The flag is racist. That the Pledge of Allegiance shouldn't have God in it. And how do they start their convention? A, his grandkids did the Pledge of Allegiance. B, they had gay kids, transgender kids, white kids, black kids, every little demographic they could find in kid form singing the national anthem. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. NBC News viewers, thanks for checking out our YouTube channel. Subscribe by clicking on that button down here and click on any of the videos over here to watch the latest interviews, show highlights, and digital exclusives. Thanks for watching. Now, later in our show, they're canceling Susan B. Anthony because Trump decided to pardon her. And the first thing on the media, oh, he's just doing it to try to get uh, women vote, and, which he won't get because he's a bastard. Nobody in the media called out, why would you do the Pledge of Allegiance and National Anthem when you fucking hate the country? You've said those are racist things. Francis Scott Key owned slave, goddammit. 
It's not supposed to be our song. We're supposed to go up with Lift Every Voices. Remember? So this is a joke. This is a joke, right? WAPO pretends first night at DNC was not a total crap fest. And who boy, talk about a fail. Everybody said it was a crap fest. I didn't watch it. Washington Post opinion. The first night of the DNC did some something radical and let us feel normal again. You don't usually need to market normal. But on the first night of the Democratic National Convention, what was the most powerful element of the party pitch? Vote for Joe Biden, a regular guy, and you can have some semblance of your everyday life back. As politics, that's a modest pitch. You know why you can have your life back? Because they're going to stop playing COVID. They'll want the economy not to fail. <laughs> I mean, come on. Come on. But as television, the convention did something impressive. It made ordinary feel, ordinary life feel within reach again. Article says, The Democratic Party is responsible so much, so much of what feels abnormal that reading this piece is almost infuriating. Is it not? Just infuriating? Here is just a... A short glimpse at the clusterfuck the first night was. Liberals were mocking it. But this year, it really is. The past few months have tested us all. We've lost more than 170,000 family members and friends to COVID. This tragedy is compounded by the loss of jobs and income. But it's not just the past few months. The past four years have left us as a nation diminished and divided. And yet, in the middle of the fear and sorrow and the uncertainty, people have come together because they know we are better than this. America is better than this. And so we choose to act, inspired by the three sacred words that breathed life into our nation, we the people. Are my hands showing when I'm up here? Yes. yes. They are? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want to. Zoom in more. They're going to zoom in a little bit more. Is that a terrible thing that my hands show? Yes. It, 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 well, it's not. It's terrible. But what's been good is. Mm-hmm. And then half. Yes. Okay. You probably should get off the screen. I'm going to give it the speech. <laughs> yes, hello. <laughs> Stop it. Enough. Enough. Okay, remember, no moving around if we can avoid that. About one minute. One minute. And who's going to tell me? You're going to tell me? Yep, it's going to be Lisa. Okay. Seconds. 
Good evening. Good night. Porter thing because they put a video to that with burning trash cans and everything. I mean, just the rioting in the streets. It it was absurd. Nobody liked it. It made fun of it. And then they tried to pack it like they're packing with a bunch of Republicans. And right after the gate, you know, they're going to have the people from St. Louis. They're going to have Nick Sandman of the DNC to counter all this stuff that they're doing, which is mostly Republicans. Like last night was Powell and uh, John McCain's wife just to say, look at Joe's for everybody. Media doesn't say, isn't that just pandering for votes? Just like, you know, Trump did. But no, we don't say that. Kyle Griffin, Susan Molinari. I'm a former Republican member of Congress in New York City, and I've known Donald Trump for most of my political career. So disappointing and lately so disturbing. Sean T. at RCP. Seriously, the last time Susan Molinari held elective office, MBOP had recently been dethroned as the number one hit by Puff Daddy. I'll be missing you. And my mo money, mo money, mo problems was working. Molly Hemingway, top DNC speaker, Susan Molinari, made millions lobbying for Russia. Federal records show. And then the whole world got at it. So it turns out former Republican congresswoman that cases said would come out for Biden is actually Google former Washington lobbyist Sue Molinari. She paid, got paid millions to lobby for Russia. And they're, they're touting that. Then comes what I never thought I'd see, the canceling of Susan B. Anthony. Susan B. Anthony doesn't deserve your I vote it stickers. Hi, my name is Luria. Every election year, women cast their ballots and trek to Mount Hope Cemetery in Rochester, New York. They proudly place their I vote it stickers on the headstone of women's suffrage heroine, Susan B. Anthony. They have perpetuated idealized versions of Anthony and her white colleagues, such as Carrie Chapman Catt and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Evidence of their ruthless racial bias has been pushed to the shadows, enabling the erasure of their women of color counterparts who also fought tirelessly for the right to vote. Susan B. Anthony only appeared to care about black people when the status quo was in her favor. 
1864, Women's Loyal National League President Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Anthony, the League's Secretary, both signed a congressional petition in support of the 13th Constitutional Amendment to abolish slavery. Their petition garnered nearly 400,000 signatures. However, when the 15th Amendment was ratified, giving African-American men the right to vote, Anthony, Stanton, and her colleagues were enraged. Lori Ginsburg, a history and women's studies professor at Penn State University, spoke with NPR in 2011 about her book, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, An American Life. There, she shared quotes in which Stanton stated that educated, virtuous white women were more worthy of the vote, and her fear for future women if these degraded black men were allowed to vote. Years prior, when speaking with Frederick Douglass at an 1886 meeting of the American Equal Rights Association, Susan B. Anthony famously asserted, I will cut off this right arm of mine before I will ever work or demand the ballot for the Negro and not the woman. Of course, in the 19th century, when only white men were able to cast a ballot, there were disagreements among campaigners about which disenfranchised group deserved the vote first. Whether Anthony was referring specifically to the white woman or all women, regardless of race, is irrelevant when you consider her abandonment of her abolitionist roots when black men were being heinously lynched across the nation for attempting to exercise their newly constitutionalized right to vote. Some people might argue that women such as Susan B. Anthony were just products of the times in which they lived, that she didn't live in an era that welcomed progressive ideals and outspoken opposition. But that's bullshit. Compassion wasn't invented in the 21st century. When African Americans were facing injustice at an inopportune time for her, Susan B. Anthony did nothing. Sometimes silence is more damaging than words. At the onset of the 20th century, Anthony was aligning herself with the likes of Belle Kearney, a Mississippi-born women's suffrage advocate and an outright white supremacist. In the words of Carrie Chapman Catt, the founder of the League of Women Voters, white supremacy will be strengthened, not weakened, by women's suffrage. I believe that true equity in women's rights will never be achieved unless it is intersectional, validating and fighting for the plights of all individuals who identify as women. Next election day, when you're looking for a home for your I Voted stickers, I suggest you make your way to Oak Hill Cemetery Crematory in Battle Creek, Michigan, where Sojourner Truth lies, a fearsome champion for women's rights, whose 1851 speech, Ain't I a Woman?, is still heralded by educators and historians to this day. Or Oak Wood Cemetery in Chicago, Illinois, where you'll find the headstone of Ida B. Wells, the activist and journalist who led an anti-lynching campaign following the ratification of the 15th Amendment and refused to be hidden by white suffragists who instructed black supporters to march in the rear of the 1913 parade in Washington, D.C. Or place your sticker within the Fannie Lou Hamer Memorial Garden in Ruleville, Mississippi and pay homage to the incomparably brave civil rights activist. She overcame police brutality. She was fired from a job for trying to register to vote. And President Lyndon B. Johnson himself tried to draw attention away from her speeches. She was still, without a doubt, one of the most powerful speakers of the era. The pursuit of justice does not have to be an exclusionary journey. And although Susan B. Anthony couldn't see that, doesn't mean you have to settle for her narrow view of victory. I'm not saying Susan B. Anthony was the most racist fraud who ever lived. There were many more racist white women suffragists than I've named here. There were also white women suffragists who didn't resort to racism to sustain their agenda. Jesse Daniel Ames was a suffragist from Texas who founded the Association for Southern Women for the Prevention of Lynching. It was fully integrated and peaked at 40,000 members. What I want is for the names of the women of color who withstood violence and disenfranchisement while fighting for the right to vote, often without the help of their white counterparts, to be given their due. Do the research, learn their names, and think about who really deserves your gratitude when the next election comes around.
So as stated, Paula Reed, President Trump will pardon Susan B. Anthony, found guilty by an all-male jury of illegal voting in 1872 presidential election. Jennifer Palmieri. Susan B. Anthony, whole point was to get arrested. She wanted that conviction. Kath, Katie Hill, who's still somehow relevant, even though she sexually harassed a lesbian lover. Susan B. Anthony did not want to be pardoned. She was very pointed about this, not until all women had full equality. She said instead she would urge all women the old revolutionary maxim that resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. Trump even pointed that out when she never put her name forward for pardon, even when she did for other women because she didn't want to be. Unsurprisingly, Trump is putting on a show to pretend he cares about women, but doesn't give a shit about what women really want. Last thing, if you want to learn more about Susan B. Anthony and the movement for sufferers, check out my book. And then they just, they start canceling her. Gabby R. Inbox, in a move sure to delight his evangelical base, Trump announces he's pardoning Susan B. Anthony later today. The husband of the president of the SBA lists an anti-abortion group named after Anthony, currently works in the White House Office of Public Liaison, Alex Lazinski. Oh, I think there might be something more important to note about Susan B. Anthony. Jerry Dunleavy, pretty sure famed abolitionist and women's rights woman suffragist movement leader Susan B. Anthony is a hero to more than just Trump's base. Gabby Orr, seeing people suggest I'm minimizing Anthony's role as a pioneer for women's suffrage by underscoring one of the obvious political benefits of this. She's profoundly important and everyone should know her story. It's also true that this will play well with those who know her legacy on abortion. New York Times. President Trump said he would pardon Susan B. Anthony, the woman suffragist who was arrested after voting illegally in 1872 and giving a $100 fine. The pardon appears to be an effort to distract from the DNC and to appeal female voters. Didn't hear that for them having Kasich out there or having Colin Powell out there or Susan McCain out there. We don't we don't hear that. Farrah Morgan, the New York Times of Susan B. Anthony legacy. Miss Anthony was tried for illegally voting and protested the fine that she was charged. She is also an increasingly divisive figure adopted by anti abortion forces and criticized for relegating black suffragists to the sideline. There it is. New York Times. She's a racist now. Raquel Willis. It makes sense that Trump would pardon Anthony, a white feminist who didn't mind turning her backs on blacks, including her supposed friend Ida B. Wells and Frederick Douglass, to chase hasten white women's fight for suffrages. Susan B. Anthony was a racist. That's the tweet. Susan B. Anthony was a racist. No wonder Trump's pardoning her. Literally type the word Susan B. Anthony racist into Google and read before I have to embarrass you. Somebody literally did a picture of her with a mega fucking hat voting for all Republicans. And then somebody was being a smartass. WAPO headline later today. Trump pardons Susan B. Anthony. White woman. <laughs> RBE, guys, they actually had to say that pardoning Susan B. Anthony was bad just because Trump did it. Holy shit. Cam Edwards, Susan B. Anthony was pardoned and canceled on the same day. These fucking people. These fucking people. They didn't stop. 
As the highest-ranking woman elected official in New York, and on behalf of Susan B. Anthony's legacy, we demand Trump rescind his pardon. She was proud of her arrest to draw attention to the cause of women's rights and never paid her fine. Governor Hockle, New York. Lieutenant Governor Hockle. That, that's where they went. That's where they went. And during all this in the narrative, we're still flipping away for Trump when it becomes highly political. Here's Chuck Todd. As president, my goal to restore safety to our streets and to help these. We thought we'd give you a, a taste of what the president is doing today. He's going to be traveling the country off and on all week in an attempt to try to counter-program the Democratic convention there. As you can see, a highly political speech, even more so than usual, which is why it didn't seem necessary to linger on it beyond letting you know that it was happening there. Um, these little airport attempts are attempts by the campaign to give the president a feel of a rally when he can't really have one. Airplane hangers might be the best he can hope for. Yeah, it's it's too political. He's being political, but we will air every fucking sec. They have not missed a minute of two days of DNC convention. Not a fucking minute. I could read you Molly Hemingway's perfect succinct, this is not right, everything is about skin color. I won't. I could play you the media just jerking off to Michelle Obama. Jerking off. But I'm not going to, because you know that's what they did. I could read you an article. Katie Couric, Nicole Wallace brings a lot of credibility because she's not, not hyper-partisan. And of course she would say that, because she's the one that took down Palin, and we would never do that for anybody else. I mean, seriously. If they had a D behind their name. But I will bring you this. This is how evil these people are. This is how they operate. Steve Schmidt was a Republican. Now he's a super lib because he has to work on MSDNC. Marco Rubio tweeted during the first night. Brilliant move. No one is more in touch with challenges and obstacles faced by everyday Americans than actors and celebrities, because Eva Longoria was their big thing. They thought that was a score. That was going to reach out to people. Uh, She's got the right check mark. She's female and Latina. This is what Steve Schmidt tweeted. I was just thinking about you. Your father fled Castro's tyranny with nothing but the clothes on his back, attended bars in the back room, and watched you rise to the heights of political power within one generation, only in America. Of course, the origin story was an embellishment. Your parents came in 56. They weren't fleeing communism. They were just looking for a better life like hardworking immigrants you have abandoned because you fear Trump and love your position. We're living in a moment when our institutions are under assault and Trump is attacking our 231-year-old tradition of free and fair elections. As lo- at long last, we know the type of man Marco Rubio is. He's no friend to liberty. He's an apartheid at heart, a self-interested enabler and a collaborator with the indecency he once denounced. Rubio is the type of man who would have stayed, should have stayed in Cuba. He's the type of ambitious young man who would have sensed new opportunities. He's the type of man who would have gladly held Castro's coat if it helped him rise just a little. 
CNN analyst, Rubio would have absolutely been a Castro crony, likely a low-level member of the secret police, the guy people would come and report their neighbors to for not clapping loud enough for the last communist rally. Then he'd take their rice rations, not to write them up. Rubio's reply, Schmidt is the type of man who turns to political prostitution, the type of washed-up man who sends new opportunity to make some money, the type of man who gladly supports a party with prominence members who sympathize with Castro, but can it help them be relevant just a little. Schmidt's reply, it's a hard truth to face. You're a timid, frightened man. You have a spirit of collaborator. You have turned your back on all that you once claimed to have believed. You have stood silently by a Trump has wrecked the country with incompetence and malice. Trump threatens our election and you are silent. Always you are silent. Watching you debate yourself in defense of Trump speaks for itself. Speaking of prostitution, this story reminds me of you. Churchill once asked Lady Astor if she would sleep with him for five million pounds. Lady Astor replied in the affirmative. Churchill then asked if she would do it for five pounds. Lady Astor replied, what do you think I am? Churchill responded, we've already established that. We're merely haggling over the price. You and I started out in the same place when it comes to Trump. Only one of us sold out, and you did it for less than five pounds. A psychiatrist might say, you are projecting. Steve Schmidt's white. He's white. And while they're talking all this shit and projecting, the Trump tour bus was banned from Twitter and then reinstated because they went to a Latina conference and they didn't like that. Their keynote speaker was fact-checked by the AP who said, no, Trump didn't put people in cages. Camelia Harris was the ringleader who tried to take down Kavanaugh, which has all been proven false. And then just one tweet screed. Camelia Harris, Joe Biden, confirmed he's coming for your health care during the primary. He said she wants to eliminate private insurance for almost 180 million Americans, even if you like your plan. And later, she doubled down on taking away your health care plan. During a Democratic primary debate, Harris raised her hand. She'd give it to abolishing and to give it to illegals. They go on to talk about her her job as a attorney general and all the people she put in jail. John Farvero, Obama speechwriter, hilarious. The media calls Camelia Harris a moderate. Washington Post, Karen Tumlety, writing article after article about how awesome Biden is and then is asked about her son and has to admit her son works for Biden. Yet she's still a journalist. And why? Latest CNN poll. Biden 50, Pence 46. 10-point swing in a month. And within the margin of error. Don't get in front of the narrative, friends. It's all about the narrative. And I'm going to have a narrative on our next break. I'm going to dramatic read the number one song in America. WAP by Cardi B. 
this woman has conferences and gives advice to who's probably going to be the next president of the United States. Not one media member has said, wow, these lyrics are pretty bad. On the other side of that, our woke section. A dramatic reading of Cardi B. WAP. Whores in the house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. Hold up. I said certified freak seven days a week. Wet ass pussy make that pullout game weak. Woo Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you fucking with some wet ass pussy. Bring a bucket and mop up. For this wet ass pussy. Give me everything you got. For this wet ass pussy. Beat it up nigga. Catch a charge. Extra large and extra large. Put this pussy right in your face. Swipe your nose like a credit card. Hop on top. I want to ride. I do a Kegel while it's inside. Spit in my mouth. Look in my eyes. This pussy is wet. Come take a dive. Tie me up like I'm surprised. Let's role play. I'll wear disguise. I want you to park that big back truck right in this little garage. Make it cream. Make it scream out in public. Make a scene. I don't cook. I don't clean. But let me tell you how. I got this ring. Hey, hey. Gobble me, swallow me, drip me the side of me. Quick jump out for you, let it get inside of me. I tell him where to put it, never tell him where I'm about to be. I'll run down on him before I have a nigga run on me. Take your shit, bite your lip. Ask for a car while you ride that dick. You really ain't got a fucking for a thing. He already made his mind up before it came to play. Now get your boots and your coat for this wet ass pussy. He bought a phone just for a picture of this wet ass pussy. 
pay my tuition just to kiss me on this wet ass pussy. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Now, make it rain if you want to see some wet ass pussy. Look, I need a hard hitter, need a deep stroker, need a heeny drinker, need a weed smoker, not a goddard snake, I need a king cobra with a hook in it, hope it lean over, he got some money, then that's where I'm heading, pussy A1 just like his credit, he got a bid, well I'm gonna win it. I let him taste it, now he's diabetic. I don't want to spit. I don't want to gulp. I want to gag. I want to choke. I want you to touch that little dangly thing that's swinging the back of my throat. My head game is fire, punani dasani. It's going in dry and coming out soggy. I ride on that thing like the coppers behind me. I spit on his mic. And now he's going to try to sign me. Your honor, I'm a freaking bitch handcuff leashes. Switch my wig, make him feel like he's cheating. Put him on his knees, give him something to believe in. Never lost a fight, but I'm looking for a beating. In the food chain, I'm the one that eat ya. If he ate my ass, he's a bottom feeder. Big D stand for his big demeanor. I could make ya bust, but I never met ya. If I don't hang, then he ain't can't bang. You can't hurt my feeling, but I like pain. If he fuck me and ask, who is it? When I ride that dick, I'm spelling my name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you fucking with some wet pussy. Bring a bucket and mop up this wet ass pussy. Give me everything you got for this wet ass pussy. Now from the top, make it drop. That's some wet ass pussy. Now get a bucket and mop that some wet ass pussy. I'm talking wop, wop, wop. That's some wet ass pussy. Macaroni in a pot. That's some wet ass pussy. There's some whores in the house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. Turn it up, turn it
Let's get a walk. Close we actually are. Yes, we will set up testing and tracing and do whatever we need to do to mobilize to win this battle because we are America. We win wars. And we are the greatest country on the globe. And for all the pain and all the tears, our way worked. And it was beautiful. We showed that our better angels are strong and that Americans will rise to their call. We saw that even at the end of the day, even if it is a long day, that love wins. And that was Governor Cuomo. It was beautiful. All those dead people. All of them. It was so beautiful. And yeah, I had fun doing that Cardi B. That, that, I love doing those. I mean, that, that lady is giving advice to the next president of the United States. And the media don't say a word. Not a word. What the actual fuck? And at no time did I say the N-I-G-G-E-R. It was N-I-G-G-A. That's how the lyrics are written. Carol Markowitz, taken from last night after sleeping. How do they not refill Michelle Obama after Camilla Harris pick? The entire Cuomo speech was a disaster top to bottom. Coronavirus is a metaphor. European virus. Our way worked and it was beautiful. Chuck Ross. New York had more deaths from COVID than California and Florida combined. So, yeah. That's our COVID for today. He's going to have a book. Narrative, my friends. Not about facts. It's about narrative. Let's do a college roundup. Portland State University disarms campus police amid riots. And then we have another one. Students demand university offers safe rides home at night after defunding the police. Bingham University. Due to mental health. I'm not even reading it. I'm just going to read the headline. They defund... Then they demand the police, police carry him home every night. Give him a glass of milk and a cookie. LSU launches committee to determine if building names are racist. Buildings are racist. J.A. Andandy is a director of sports journalism at Northwestern prestigious Medi Hill School of Journalism. Thanks to take on the just-released opinion finding California ban on high-capacity magazines unconstitutional. Comically bad. Here's his tweet. How can high-capacity gun magazines be covered by the Second Amendment when they don't exist when the Second Amendment was written? Amy Swearer. I'm just going to do one reply because it's perfect. How can the First Amendment cover speech made over the Internet when the Internet doesn't didn't exist when the amendment was written? We could play that game all day long. All day long. If you'd like. Then a local story. And there's been some stupid in, you know, Memphis, Chattanooga, Knoxville. You're going to have stupid. But this is right down the road from my house. And it sums up the cancel culture. Montgomery Central mascot sparks debate with opposing online petitions. 
An online petition has sparked debate as well as a second counter petition about Montgomery Central High School's mascot. Montgomery Central High School has been the team named Indians since the school opened in the 70s. The name has been the subject of controversy in the past with some changes made over the years, though the mascot has remained the same. Businesses with ties to Central have taken on the mascot as well. Local pizza place, Central Pizza, features a special extra-large pizza dubbed The Chief. In the past, Montgomery Central's mascot was depicted as a Native American man in a feathered headdress and face paint. In recent years, school has shifted to more neutral logo of a white and red feather. The initial petition calling on the Clarksville Montgomery School Board to reconsider changing the mascot was started by Christian Reek, a Rossview alum, who never went to the school. Reek got the idea from a petition after seeing an MCHS shirt at Walmart that offended him. The word Indian is so outdated. So I talked to some people around me who are Native American. A whole shitload here. Not. They are part of Choctaw and Awubji tribe. As the August 13 Reek petition gathered 840 signatures. The petition had also inspired some pushback with many members of the Montgomery County Central community defending their mascot of over 45 years. Brian South, a Montgomery Central graduate who ties the school, started a second petition to counter. It has 3,800 signatories to say, go fuck your shit. I don't see any benefit in taking the name away. I haven't seen anywhere where we put Native Americans down or degraded them in any way. If I were really offending someone, I would see it. If they were out there making fun of them or scalping them or something like that, I could kind of see that. But as far as what they're doing out there, all these, they are our kids. They're just looking for a mascot. That is cancel culture in a nutshell. It's no, they, they, they aren't offended. They just want to get famous. And they see something somewhere and they run with it. fucking assets but at least in this local paper they talked about the counter one that has four times the signatures so what does that say go fuck yourself then we got my favorite college shit i just love it Mm, i love it college warns students about fat phobic phrases like you have such a pretty face let me see if i can read that we found these posts on the normalization of fat phobia and we're taking time to select in these everyday comments phrases that are microaggressions check out their content for more meaningful resources on checking our bias in both speech and behavior let's be real we've all heard it at some time if not all all the four fat phobia lives and in so much of our daily conversations where transpho- fatphobic phrases are you're tired of hearing about. So we go down in here. Guy on social media calls phrases you didn't know were fatphobic phrases, including, you're so brave. That's so flattering on you. You have such a pretty face. You carry yourself well. And I'm so bad for eating this. College informed student on August 10th that calling someone brave can imply that their reason overweight people shouldn't show off their bodies and be proud of them, and that no one should be considered brave for simply existing in their fat body. You know, I, I've said it before on the show. The worst insult I ever got, and I did feel insulted for a second. 
because I was skinny. I mean, I weighed like 200 pounds. Buff. A lady said I was well fed. Then I said, are you saying I'm fat? No, I'm saying you're ethnic. Are you saying I'm fat? And I didn't even know her. She just walked up and talked to me at a pool in Fort Leonardwood, Missouri. I got drug out by a guy and I was just sitting there studying my modules. Next movement I'll name, explain, I have demonstrating. Doug, practical work on is position of attention. The position of attention is the basis for all drill movements. Commands for position of attention are fall in and attention. Fall in is combined command. Attention is a two-part command when preceded by demonstrator, platoon, whatever. I can still remember it. Pages of shit. You ought to do for drill start school. Anyway, I got over it. But yeah, the fat phobic cracks me up. So we get into what it's all about. And I say it all the time on the show. It's money, 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 money. The whole college pipeline of fucking everybody's offended. It's all money. And this story broke on the white fragility chip. All right. So here's the article. The author of the book on white microaggressions, Dr. Robin D'Angelo, is reportedly being microaggression when it comes to her sensitivity seminar fees. White fragility author Robin D'Angelo will conduct a training workshop for the University of Connecticut administrators this fall. Her fee? $20,000. Robbie Sobe. Note that she's training the administrators, the campus speech cops, rather than lecturing to the students in a forum where ideas would be scrutinized. It's not an exchange of ideas. It's new HR policy enforcement. White Fragility is a book about John, that John H. McWhorter called a racist tract. Difficult to imagine in any other circumstance the university training its employees in the methodology of an author whose book was accused of being racist. So we're clear. I don't want D'Angelo canceled. I think it's right to have her speak on campus or even to pay her, <clears throat> though that's an insane amount of money. But her idea take the form of HR training for employees that are being consumed by students and faculty secondhand and enforced. For this fall, the University of Connecticut plans to send four dozen top administrators to a three-day workshop on anti-racism under D'Angelo. The high price tag is not surprising. News reports have already received that D'Angelo and other diversity lectures often charge ten dollars to $15,000 for a few hours of work. She even charges $320 per hour for a phone call. And then Matthew, wrong kind of gay Greenfield, sums it up. Her second book will be called White Lucrativity. <laughs> so now we know I mean I say it all the time it is the grievance industry is big money these people can't give it up we, we elected a black president and they went into overdrive because they knew people would be like oh wait a minute we got a black president what the fuck Chuck then we go to Iowa State English professor bans papers and projects that challenge abortion or Black Lives Matter. We bet this goes on just about every college and university in the United States, even if it's not expressed in writing in a class syllabus. The students know what's acceptable and what's not as far as though, as far as thought and free speech goes. It's really early, so I apologize all my misreads. It's like 7 o'clock in the morning. We started this bitch at 5. Young American Foundation got its hands on a syllabus for Iowa State University English professor Chloe Clark that included a giant warning for her students. Kara Zupkik, 
new. An Iowa State University professor has threatened to kick students out of her class for expressing pro-life or anti-BLM viewpoints. No arguments against gay marriage, abortion, Black Lives Matter, etc. Her syllabus states. And here it is. Um, let me try to blow, let me blow this up. Almost there. This class includes many discussions about these subjects and the text we use. And thus participants will be a large factor in the class. Giant warning. Any instances of othering that you participate in intentional racism, sexism, ableism, homophobia, transphobia, sorophobia. I don't know what that is. Classism. Mocking of mental health issues, body shaming, etc. In class or grounds for dismissal for the classroom. The same goes for any paper projects. You cannot choose any topic that takes at its base that one side does and deserve the same basic human rights as you do for no argument against gay marriage, abortion, Black Lives Matter, etc. I take this seriously. Yeah, she takes it seriously. She's a serious person. So what is sorophobia? Is it sorophobia? We're going to look that up. We got a new thing to accuse people of, folks. This is exciting. Oh, my God. I never even heard this is a good one. Sorophobia. Differences among women in literature and culture. In Sorphobia, Helen Murray argues that feminism advocates sisterhood risks negating undeniable cultural difference that exists both among small communities of women and across the nation. Let, let me do a Sorophobia definition. Sorophobia definition. Collins English edition. Okay, that was not it. Here it is. A fear or dislike of China or Chinese people, their language or culture. A fear of goods made in China or goods labeled as made in China. That's cynophobia, not sorophobia. I asked for sorophobia. That's cynophobia. That's not what it says. Unless I'm reading it wrong. Hold on a second. We're doing this live. No, it's sorophobia. Huh. There is no definition that... I mean, Google would give it back because they're all into that shit. Well, that's cynophobia. Let's just do sorophobia. Find a different article on sorophobia. Sobing soberphoria. Hmm. Yeah, it's just that book. She must have read this book. Sorophobia, differences among women in literature and culture. So I guess it's not portraying women the way... That That's pretty fucking confusing. Considering you motherfuckers say men with dicks are women. So is that sorophobic? I, I'm just asking for a friend. Because I'm pretty sure if you have a dick, you're not a man. I'm just saying... Is it me? Anybody out there? Is it me? Okay, we're moving on. <laughs> uh, here's another uh, part to this. I was just released a statement saying 
The syllabus is inconsistent with the university standard and that the syllabus has been corrected. They also noted Clark is being given 1A training materials. Oh, listen to this. The syllabus statement as written was inconsistent with the university standards and commitment to the First Amendment. After reviewing this issue with the faculty member, the syllabus has been corrected to ensure it is consistent with the university policy. Moreover, the faculty member is being provided additional information regarding First Amendment policies of the university. Iowa State is firmly committed to protecting the First Amendment rights of its students, faculty, and staff with respect to students' expression in the classroom, including the completion of assignments. The university does not take disciplinary action against students based on their content or viewpoint expressed in their speech. Wow, good for them. Yeah. That's fucking fantastic. Good for them. But that's not the norm, because we're now in, in, the, in the realm of we're censoring. Babylon B suspended for violating Twitter rules against platform manipulation. And then we found that it was an error. We're sorry about that. Twitter features ask user race, ethnicity, and policing harmful languages. Twitter users have claimed the site is now asking users what race they are when users have made offensive statements. Twitter appears to be rolling out a new system of double standard based on race and announced a new feature last May that would nag users that they were about to post a tweet including language that could be harmful. Since then, Twitter has now annoyed users further by surveying them on their ethnicity when they make a statement that Twitter finds objectable. Reclaim the Net reported August 13, Twitter users Bad Cripple came forward with a screenshot that appears to show Twitter asking several questions concerning a tweet the platform rejected to. The screenshot appeared to inquire about the statement context, such as asking whether a user was criticizing hate speech or the user was using this type of language to defend myself or others. One screenshot reportedly from Twitter stated, To keep Twitter safe and open, we're asking people if they want to revise replies that were detected as potentially harmful or offensive. Other screenshots showed a list of ethnic categories, including black, African, African American, and white, European, European American. The screenshot also included a question seeking context for why users believe they received this warning to revise their tweets, it appears to include a selectable answer such as, I was speaking out against hate speech. The Twitter target people like me, Candace Owen, for example, who, oh, it's the other lady who won, was temporarily suspended by Twitter for tweeting the then New York Times recent hired Sarah Jong anti-white rant by copying Jong's words. Owens, however, swapped out the word white and men for black and Jewish and women, respectively. Twitter and Times did not take issue with the original anti-white tweets, but Owen faced consequences for rewriting the tweet, and she was suspended. Hmm. So, there you go. In the home front, it's, it's getting worse and worse for Google. All right, when you Google things... You're getting all sorts of crazy shit. So I googled uh, Indian summer. Is it appropriate to say Indian summer? My tweet was, will Tennessee have an Indian summer? What determines Indian summer? Why is Adam called Indian summer? And then the first five things were, hey, Indian summer is racist as fuck. Then I searched SP. QR. We were watching uh, one of my wife's digging archaeologist shows, and I couldn't remember what it actually meant. And right off the bat, SPR, this is this is Google, initially stood for Senatus Populi Romanus, the Senate and the Roman people. 
but in growing number of white supremacists have adopted it. That's that's the definition for it. So yeah, we ins- it doesn't matter what you do on Google. They are going to fucking find something to say, you're racist, because that's what they do. Then something close to home that really fucking hit me um, and pisses me the fuck off, and then we'll go into everything that's racist. Mail-only draft is constitutional federal appeals court rules. A Louisiana federal appeal court ruled Thursday that an all-male military draft is constitutional, according to the Associated Press. The 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans overturned a Texas court 2019 decision saying its newest decision that only the Supreme Court may revise its precedents. I, for the record, call bullshit. I call severe bullshit, uh, gigantic bullshit, bullshit squared by the fucking cosine of pi. It's fucking bullshit horse shit. It's fucking horse shit. If you want equality, equality is everybody's the same standard. I had a guy come in, I had a broken shower and I gotta be quite honest, I didn't feel comfortable fixing it because it's one of those cartridges. No video really showed me how to do it. It seems like a simple thing and then I watch the guy do it and I feel like, oh my god, I just wasted 290 fucking dollars. So I'll do it myself in the future. But he was ex-military and we talked about it. It goes down to simple thing. And that thing's an umbrella. In the United States military, women can be in combat roles. Women can be all this in a bag of chips. But they carry an umbrella in dress greens. I can't. Why? Now, would I wear the umbrella? Probably not. But the point is, if you have two different standards, that's not a quality. And if women really want a quality, then when the balloon goes up and there's a war... Step your ass down to the recruiting office. Just like the boys. Let's go to Everything is Racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Greetings all, my name is Felice Leon. I am a host and video producer with The Root. Thank you for tuning in to The Root Institute. And today you all are in for a treat uh, because I have the supreme pleasure of chatting with Congresswoman, excuse me, let me correct that, history-making black woman, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. Congresswoman Presley, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. How are you? First things first, are you doing well? Are you hanging in there? Your mother, uh, leader, <laughs> uh, wife, and in these crazy times, are you doing well? Uh, of course. Up? I'm just doing what women do and doing what black women have done throughout history. So, you know, hopefully I'm being a good steward of that, of that legacy. Indeed. Indeed. So, um, first things first. Uh, so as the first woman of color um, in the Boston City Council, you ran on the mandate to save our girls. So in this history-making role, why was it uh, so important for you to center Black girls? Yeah. Well, first, let me just say that I didn't set out to make history. Um, I simply was following the work. I had been um, active in the nonprofit community 
while also being an aide. I was an aide to Senator John Kerry at the time, but I was volunteering for every uh, organization committed to the safety development and health and wellness of women and girls and serving on those boards. And I was giving my phone number to every girl, every young lady that I met. And they were calling me at all hours of the night. Um, I just came out to my parents. I have no place to go. Can I stay with you? Um, I'm worried I might be pregnant. Can I take a test at your home? Um, I don't have the, uh, I can't afford feminine hygiene products. Can I borrow some? Um, I know you're a survivor of abuse. A family member's making me feel uncomfortable. Can you help me? And I was doing everything I could to keep my heart, my home, and my arms open, but I realized that this was not sustainable. And what it was revealing to me, which should not have been surprising given my own lived experiences, is that government was failing girls, that the narrative had been so dominated in terms of um, at unproven risk black and brown boys, that girls were being completely overlooked who were growing up in the same uh, conditions. And so I ran for the Boston City Council on a mandate to save our girls, girls who didn't even know they needed saving. And many people told me that that was not the role of government, that I should go and start a nonprofit. And, you know, ultimately the electorate proved those naysayers wrong by electing me to the Boston City Council in 2009, having run on that platform and on that mandate. And just to speak to the power of representation and centering those voices which had been overlooked and ignored for a long time. I mean, even in our home community, black folks were saying, you're focused on the girls, but it's our boys that are dying. And I said, you know, this isn't a matter of or, this is and. We are our brother's sister and our sister's keeper. And our freedoms and our destinies are tied. And yes, black and brown boys are disproportionately dying on these streets, but black girls are dying slowly right in front of you. And so that first budget hearing as a Boston city councilor, as the first woman of color, first black woman elected to that council at that time in its 100 year history. I remember. What's up folks, my name is Felice Leone and I am a host and video producer with The Root and you are watching The Root Institute. So today we are going to be chatting about harnessing the black folk. And I'm joined by Glenda Carr. She's the president of Higher Heights. Also Judith Brown Dianis, the executive director of the Advancement Project. And Rashad Robinson. He is the president of Color of Change. Thank you all for joining us. First things first, I'm going to ask a question and I will admit that it's a bit loaded, right? Uh, but we're going to have an opportunity to unpack this throughout the entire conversation. So if you all wouldn't mind briefly answering this, what is at stake during the 2020 presidential election? Mm. <laughs> everything, everything. I, you know, our lives are at stake. We're in the midst of a, a pandemic, a health crisis. Um, our black people are disproportionately dying, um, but also sick. Uh, we, what we've seen because of this pandemic is that it has exposed the structural racism that we knew existed before, but other people didn't know. Um, but how the, you know, lack of healthcare, lack of affordable housing, all of the structures that would have our communities thrive, right, are the things that have been exposed as being very weak or um, actually don't exist at all. And so we have an opportunity in this election to decide the direction out of this pandemic 
In addition to which, we have the opportunity to have our say about the way in which we are going to deal with racism generally, but of course, racism within the criminal justice system and with regard to police. So um, so it's all on the table. Everything that impacts Black folks is on the table in uh, November. And I wanted to build on Judith's um, um, response. I would say our democracy is at stake. Are we moving forward and going to build an America we can all believe in? Uh, and I believe that Americans, including myself, are concerned about um, the elected leaders and the, the direction that many of them are taking um, this country and frankly, how that imp uh, impacts um, African-American communities. I think um, my neighbors are concerned that their vote isn't going to count um, and that their vote doesn't matter. Um, I think they're concerned about what will happen, the, what, what happens the day after this election cycle. Um, this is an uncertain democracy um, and we're moving in a, you know, we're moving, um, it is a feeling of that we're slipping back um, instead of moving forward. Um, as we, you know, commemorate um, and celebrate the life and legacy of John Lewis uh, in, in knowing that we are literally fighting for them, the, 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 for those who, you know, literally shed blood, you know, decades ago, and that we're fighting for those same rights. It sometimes feels like deja vu that we are, you know, replaying and watching, um, you know, a, a show on PBS <laughs> uh, uh, and you realize it's reality. Um, but I'm hopeful. Um, but I do believe that when I listen to my family and friends that they may not use the language around that, the um, democracy, but in all said and done, um, we're very concerned about the direction of this country. You know, my sister just said it, so I don't have much much to add there, um, except to say uh, plus, plus one uh, to all of that. And so um, I think uh, for folks who are watching, then the task becomes that it's not enough for us to care. Um, we have to act. And for people who are probably watching this, my assumption, if you're watching the Root Institute, you're probably registered, you're probably voting. And so I'm now hoping that you are thinking about how do they use your energy? How do you take what you have just heard um, about the sort of importance of this moment, how important it is, and actually take that understanding, that awareness, and translate it into the type of action uh, that gets uh, your friends, your family, the people in your networks in motion uh, to uh, make something happen. So with the protests in response to the killings of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, Glenda, I'm curious as to how you think that the uprisings will impact the vote. This is absolutely a um, a summer of action um, and a summer of an action that transcends race and ethnicity. Um, and we see a, a broader coalition of Americans appalled by many of the um, you know, killings and that has actually happened to our country for, for, for centuries, but people are stepping into their awareness. Uh, and that awareness is fueling uh, their ability to um, not only take to the streets and protest during a backdrop, using the backdrop of um, a global pandemic. You know, people were actually made very clear decisions to leave their homes when many of, many of our neighbors 
were quarantining and 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 working from and living from at home 24 hours, seven days a week. So there's a clear call to action in, in, in need to feel um, a part of this moment. But there was a direct correlation to not only the importance of raising their voices um, in protests in person, um, using their voice through their social media, but there's a clear connection many people have made that um, for us to move forward, we need to look at um, the elected leaders. Um, and so I think there's an energized base of voters that are actually gonna vote um, and center black lives and black communities. Um, and I'm talking about our white um, neighbors uh, in a way that they probably have never pondered um, in an election cycle. Um, and I, I believe that you know young people um, to our you know uh, seniors in our um, communities are in real dialogue about what has to happen to ensure that we center black lives. Um, and that includes um, exercising their rights at the voting booth and being very clear about having direct conversations with our elected leaders, those who are vying for these coveted black votes in a way that I don't think the, the conversations that we've had in yesteryear. At the end of the day, as you know, Higher Heights um, focuses on building black women's political power. And black women in this election cycle are demanding their return on their voting investment. And that is in the form of policies that directly center black women, our families, and our communities. And we are absolutely claiming seats at decision-making tables so that we can have a seat as we um, determine the policies that we're going to innovate beyond 2020. And so you mentioned a really, really interesting point here. So you're saying that, you know, obviously black people are having demands. We're saying that, you know, this is what we want, right? But we're also seeing some celebrities, uh, namely Puff Daddy, I'm sure you've seen this, or Diddy now, nowadays he's Diddy. Uh, and he's, you know, come out and said that the black vote isn't free. And, you know, obviously he said that he, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said that he would hold the black vote hostage. And so Rashad, I'm curious as to um, your take on that, particularly as we're, so close to the 2020 election. So by all means, we should, you know, have, understand the power of our vote, but framing that as we now have two, you know, two candidates, um, what's your take? So, you know, at first I want to sort of just build off of what Glenda was saying too, and then I'll get right to that question as well. So, you know, I just think it's important that we don't mistake presence for power. Sort of the presence of our issues on the front page of the news, people saying they care for the ability to actually move people in the direction, the ability to change the rules. Uh, white women saw Donald Trump talk about grabbing um, women by their um, private places and 53% of them still voted for him in the last election. And so um, people will people will get into the voting booths and do all sorts of things and think about their interest in all sorts of ways. And so I do think that we should be really clear about sort of what we are up against. You know, as it relates to what um, Puff has said, you know, I've talked to him a couple of times. Um, I, I think that he's saying what a lot of people are saying. And I think we actually have to be clear. And the Democratic Party would do well to really listen um, to... Um, a lot of black folks who are wanting very clear um, demands and agendas. I don't think what he's saying is much different. Those are very long sound bites I edited way down. That is the root. They did their own little uh, prep for the DNC, I think was the concept. Fucking little soiree where they made these women like they are the greatest thing. 
ever, 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 ever. And for the record, every one of those voices you heard are supreme racist. They just are. From the root, documents reveal that the federal agency monitored Black Lives Matter demonstrator but ignored white supremacists involved in violent protests. I'm not reading it. It is a tissue of fucking lies. They know it's a lie. But just like the guy who fucking beat up that guy that we started the show with, all you have to do is insert white supremacist and boom. Okay, well, we're not going to touch that guy. A tool to perpetuate racism and xenophobia. Newsweek apologizes for Camelia Harris' birther op-ed. And then they go on the whole thing that white people know this. NFL to ditch on-field anthem singers this season. Military police honor guards could also be limited. So my question is, are you just going to do lift up every voice? Is that what we're doing? We're not going to do other ones. We're just going to do lift up every voice. Hmm. Week one will be very interesting. Fox News smashes NBA ratings because they've gone full bore political, sportscaster says. The ratings are fucking horrible. Because sometimes people forget it's not the country's majority white. Who the fuck you think watches basketball? Sure, most African Americans do, but a shitload of white boys do. Remember Larry Bird? Virginia mayor refuses to resign after saying Biden chose Aunt Jemima for VP. Wow. The mayor of a small town in Virginia is refusing to resign after saying presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden picked Aunt Jemima to be his running mate, a reference to the fact that Biden pledged to select a woman of color as a vice president. Lurie Mayor Barry Priestgraves wrote in a since-deleted Facebook post on August 2nd, Joe Biden has just announced Aunt Jemima as the VP pick. The comment was met with backlash from members of Lurie City Council as well as some residents of 5,000 persons town of Shenandoah Valley. According to the Page Valley News, Council Member Lee Pence posted on Facebook, Barry, I'm writing to strongly urge you to resign over a racist comment you made on Facebook. Comedy post is a type of humor that has not been appropriate or funny in my lifetime on yours. While the resignation alone will not resolve the systemic subliminal races that plagues our community, your resignation is imperative and work towards ending racism in our community. Finally, he didn't. But that, probably not a good tweet. Professor faces inquisition over controversial tweet about race. The University of Central Florida professor is the latest to face political and work-related backlash over comments he made on social media. Unable to fire the professor for his tweet, the university opened a massive investigation into his decade-long career to find something to terminate him for. Professor Charles Nagy has been an associate professor of psychology since 1998. He teaches controversial subjects such as cross-culture psychology and sexual behavior and can often be blunt. His personality has caused some strife among UCF community, but he has received routinely positive evaluation. This June, however, Nagy's eccentric personality and non-mainstream thoughts got him in trouble with today's woke crowd. Nagy commented on an article written by Steve Saylor for Tacky's Magazine, which concluded what Americans need to do is treat blacks as human beings with free will who, when they make good choices, should enjoy the benefits, and when they make bad choices, should experience the consequences. Instead, 
The establishment views blacks as our sacred cows above criticism, but beneath agency. Nagy responded to the article by saying it was spot on with infuriating folks. Black privilege is a real is real. Besides affirmative action, special scholarships and other set aside being shielded from legitimate criticism is a privilege. But as a group, they're missing out on much needed feedback. And he's hundred percent fucking white. Right. Sorry. I said white. By the way, he's an ethnic and sexual minority. He's not white. He's mixed. But he's right. But they do want special treatment. And so does our gay crowd. Hey. 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 Bow. 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 Little pump in the cut. Hey. Gang shit. Gang shit. Gang shit. Resistance from behind. We gotta stop. You 
That is a fucking train wreck. I mean, just a fucking train wreck. I, I don't. I. I. Ah, I don't even know how the fuck that they thought that was a good idea. It's literally like you're smoking something. You're on some kind of drugs because that that was hard to watch. I. I I don't know who thought that was a good idea, and they, they had the green, red America flag, which is insulting BLM shit, as Tucker Carlson said. That, that's the only reason why I was there. Was there, court orders fathers to pay for trans-affirming counseling session for his eight-year-old son. Somebody said this is going to get na- nailed again. So, Greg Abbott's in there. That's the one we've been covering. Then we have a federally appointed, Trump federally appointed judge in Idaho striking down the Idaho women's sports law. On Monday, Judge Judge David C. Nye, a Trump appointee to Idaho federal bench, placed a temporary injunction on Idaho Fairness and Women's Sports Act, which bars men who claim they are women participating in female sports and vice versa. Nine said the plaintiffs, who include track and field athletes at Boise State University, are likely to exceed establishing an act and unconstitutional as currently written because, in his estimation, it likely violates the 14th Amendment. Nine claims that Idaho ban is a stark contrast to policies of the basically Olympics and everywhere else, and that separating sexes by scientific designation burdens all female athletes with the risk and embarrassment of having to verify their biological sex. But it isn't embarrassing to lose to a guy with a ball and dick running in front of him in a sprint. Yeah. Yeah. More to follow on that. I think that one of the people that replied, what this ruling will do now is turn all women's sports into men's sports and eliminate female sports worldwide, ushering a new era of women's suffrage and discrimination against women by denying women their place in sports of which they fought so hard in the past. It's so true. And, and, and in a million years, would you ever think it would be conservatives defending women? But that's the world we live in right now. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to say, what the fuck happened to the left and women? Why don't they care about women anymore? It's a classification that doesn't exist. Unless they're running for president. And then no media wants to really just go, wait a minute. Well, shouldn't it be a transgender woman? I mean, don't we want... Shouldn't we have picked a black transgender woman? That's three check marks on the intersectionality scorecard. And then Outsport... It wasn't Outsports. It was The Advocate. They wrote this article. Not reading it. Billy Porter closes DNC first night with powerful 60s protest song. Nobody in the world thinks that's a good song. Nobody. Umbrella Academy. Ellen Page and Marin Ireland on hopeful queer love. So basically, I was going to watch the Umbrella Academy, and then I found out it's just a fucking front for pushing gay bullshit once again. Anything Ellen Page in, it's going to be gay. That's just what it is. Which... Brings us to This Is America as we go out. What do we not listen? Uh, let's listen to Bashing Christianity. That's a new Netflix show. And then an incredibly good soundbite of students hearing quotes and thinking those ho- sto- quotes 
are somebody else, but they're actually Camelia Harris. You know who's also a really good team? Naomi and Ruth from the Bible. I really like that story. Yeah, me too, actually. Really? Yeah. Two women left on their own who make the best of a bad situation, securing their fortune without the help of a man. I read that they were together. Yeah, of course they were together. Women couldn't travel alone back then. No, um, like, like together, together. Like, they cleaved or whatever. <laughs> what do you mean, cleaved? Like, sex? Yeah. It's, it's the same Hebrew word. Like, Naomi cleaved to Ruth, like how Adam cleaved Eve. That's a loose interpretation. Well, what about Jonathan and David? Jonathan grew full thinking about David, full, like, erect. Okay, what about the Apostle Paul? Romans 1.26, for this reason, God gave them up to degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural. The Apostle Paul? He's so annoying. He also said that women should learn in silence. Like, you smile and shush, Paul. Why should the Bible be a rule book for sex anyway? It's 2,000 years old. It contradicts itself in like a bajillion different places. Its big points are love thy neighbor and protect the poor. But all anybody can ever talk about is sex and purity and, and one man and one woman, right? I was thirsting what? What's that for? Oh. Wait, 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 Sterling, no. My virginity is a gift that I want to give to my future wife. And I'm pretty sure you want to give the same gift to your future husband, so... Even though I'm feeling very, uh... Horny? Tempted? Yeah, even though I'm feeling very tempted, uh, I think we should pray. For restraint. Okay, alright. Dear Lord, Please take away Satan's wicked temptation. You are good and gracious, and we strive to be good and be gracious in the face of the the devil. Okay, okay. John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Wait, uh, what? Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. You believe in Jesus, don't you? Of course. Well, then you shall have eternal life. Oh. Oh. Wow. (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I shall not be in want. Oh, man. I really love you. First Peter 4, 8. <laughs> Above all, love each other deeply because love covers oh. a multitude oh. of oh. sin. Oh. Hi, I'm Eduardo Nuret with Campus Reform. Old comments by Kamala Harris have resurfaced where she referred to 18 to 24-year-olds as stupid. So we're here today talking to young Americans to see what they think about that. Would they vote for or support someone who thinks they're stupid? 
Let's find out. All right, so would you guys vote for a politician who thinks young people are stupid? So I want to read you the quote. What else do we know about this population, 18 through 24? They are stupid. Would you vote for someone who said that? No, I wouldn't because I believe young people are the future, obviously. No, honestly, no. Because no matter what age, you're allowed to have your own opinion, like even 18-year-olds. No. I mean, I guess, like, if you're speaking upon your people, that like, that's who you're representing. Like, those are the types of people that... Like you're that are gonna be voting for you, so why would you talk down upon them? How about you? Would you vote for someone who thinks young people are stupid? I personally would not. I feel like the younger people are actually a lot more educated than the older people in America. No, I would not vote for someone like that. Talking about us being stupid means that he's he doesn't respect us and who we are. Which politician do you think said that? It's a major politician in the U.S., one that a lot of people would recognize. Who do you think? said that young people are stupid. I'd have to go I'd have to go for Trump or Pence. Probably Donald Trump. Sounds like something the president would say. I feel like it'd be like Trump. Why, why do you say Trump? What makes you think Trump would say that? Um he's very ignorant. He's very just not mentally there and that just sounds like something he would definitely say. Because he says a lot of stupid stuff all the time. I mean I'm sure he would say something like that. But what would you say if I told you that the person who actually said this is Joe Biden's vice presidential candidate, Kamala Harris, who he announced the other day. What would you say if I told you that? What else do we know about this population, 18 through 24? They are stupid. (laughs) That is why we put them in dormitories. And they have a resident assistant. They make really bad decisions. It doesn't surprise me. I, I would expect someone from the left to say something like that. Not surprised at all. A little bit surprised, not entirely though, because I have seen a lot of not so good things about her um, in regards to like uh, imprisonment of people and stuff like that. People say stuff all the time, so like regardless of what age you are, you make bad decisions, but I mean, I wouldn't call the whole entire population stupid, you know? Um, I'm not surprised. Um, it seemed like she was joking. I don't know. So you're saying you, you would vote for someone who thinks basically you as a young person is stupid? Well, when you say it like that, it sounds like, I mean... How does that make you feel to hear her say that? To, you know, start out calling, just calling us stupid. It just seems like she was trying to, like, get at a different population group by putting this population group down, I guess. With comments like that, knowing that and watching that now, is that going to change the way you think about who you're going to vote for? Does it change the way you view Biden and Kamala Harris? My opinion doesn't change. I've always been Bernie 2020. She doesn't have a history of being very like democratic her stances on things aren't the most accepting of everybody and they lean more conservative what what stance to you comes out to mind that you say leans more conservative for starters she is a big like fan of the police force which is what most like democrats are trying to defund and she's like a big advocate for cops and everything so yeah, that just gives me more reason not to vote for them. Not so much, because the other president, why would I want Mike Pence as the vice president even if? That's like an insult to me. Like, fuck that. I'm not a strong Biden supporter. I don't know whether I would vote for him this election or not. Does this affect the way you view them as a ticket? I mean, it does, but like I said, there's no way I'm voting for Trump. So it's just like... I mean, I don't agree if like, young people are stupid, but like... I don't know, some are. Like, we're not exactly, like, we've been eating, like, Tide Pods and stuff. Like, I don't really think, like, we're smart. Lesser two evils. (laughs) 
Hi, I'm Eduardo Norette with Campus Reform. Thanks for watching. If you want to see more great content like this, be sure to click the subscribe button right here. And if you're interested in joining the Campus Reform team as a correspondent, investigator, or tipster, click right here. Which brings us to our This Is America. I, de- I saved the second night for our This Is America. Because they brought Bill Clinton to come in and talk about the Oval Office. Ben Shapiro, Bill Clinton talking about what to do in the Oval Office. It's high-level comedy. Matt Vizzer, Bill Clinton to say tonight at a time like this, the Oval Office should be command center. Instead, it's a storm center. It's only chaos. Just one thing never changes. His determination to deny responsibility and shift the blame. The buck never stops here. Only in America, with our shit-ass media, could a man who was on Epstein's fucking airplane, who there are now pictures that they won't show in the media of him getting a massage from one of the fucking abused women. Literal picture of it. Who lied to the American people. Who was impeached. Every time there's an election, they roll this dumbass out. And our media says, oh my God, he's so great. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. Okay, the Zoom shots where they're getting the reaction from people around the country. I mean, we came for a convention and a Zoom party broke out. I know. It's going to happen. I like, too, that they had the the, the technical glitch, a black Zoom box, which looks like our staff. Hello, real? (laughs) Hello, real? All right, we're actually not interrupting. We're going right back to it. Really beautiful performance by John Legend uh, and a very, very emotional evening across the board. Welcome back to our viewers here in the United States and around the world. Jake, I was very moved by the video, the John McCain video, underscoring the friendship that he had with uh, Joe Biden. I was very moved by the personal story of Jill Biden and Joe Biden. Her words were very powerful. We're, of course, going to discuss what Bill Clinton had to say about Joe Biden, uh, what Colin Powell had to say about Joe Biden, what they had to say also about the current president of the United States. But it ended on a very emotional, powerful scene, and I think it's worth, worth discussing. Yeah, those, those films were really well done, uh, the ones about the McCain-Biden uh, friendship and also the one about Jill Biden. Uh, her speech was remarkable, too, in the sense that it really was just an affirmative case for her husband. I, I don't think she even mentioned uh, President Trump, uh, in quite stark contrast to First Lady o- Obama's uh, speech last evening. What I'm really taking away uh, in terms of the message uh, from the Democratic C- National Convention on the second night uh, is basically normalcy. That seems to really be a big part of the pitch, that Joe Biden is somebody who, who will allow the country a return to normalcy. You heard, uh, first of all, as a Philadelphian, it's great to hear that Willow Grove accent, that somehow <laughs> Jill Biden 
has not shed at all. It's, it's seriously uh, music to my ears. But but it, but the idea of just like how how normal the Biden seem uh, that with the military service. Uh, she's a teacher. She uh, got her graduate degree when she, a little later in life. Uh, a blended family uh, and and, uh, and and adversity that they had to work through. And then, of course, you know, we've heard and talked a lot about um, what the messages are in the sense that Republicans are, are so uh, featured in this Democratic convention. We had that with uh, General Colin Powell uh, and John McCain, that friendship. But that is, Dana, that is who Joe Biden is. He is somebody who works with Republicans and who likes Republicans, whether or not progressives like it. Absolutely. I really want to drill down on what you said about Jill Biden. Uh, the woman who wants to be first lady of the United States. You know, we all know people don't vote for first ladies. They vote for president. But there is something that is sort of you know, important for people to see uh, the full package and to see what the family who would be in their living rooms a lot would be like. And that clearly was what the goal uh, what we saw from Jill Biden explaining who that family is, who she is, uh, in a way uh, that, uh, that, that is very important for people, not just sort of in a generic way, but as somebody who they said over and over uh, helped to bring the family back together. And they were clearly trying to make the case that she could help bring the American family back together. I mean, it was, there was nothing subtle about that. Uh, and, and, making clear that they are very resilient as the Bidens and that they could bring that resiliency to America. Don't you think, Abby? Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like the um, the last hour was so emotional, including Addie Barkin. I mean, when we talk about yeah. family, it really yeah. starts with with that for me. I mean, his life story is in so, so many ways tragic, but also a story of a certain kind of perseverance. I mean, all of that, it builds up to what Jill Biden was, was doing toward the end there. And, you know, I, I do think a lot about this idea of what is the balance between the, the sort of progressive flank and, and the Republicans that were pictured. And I do think that they kind of struck the right balance, it seemed. They, they had a little bit of a mix of both. They had uh, people advocating for Medicare for All. They had AOC in there giving a really powerful endorsement of, uh, of Bernie Sanders, but also of that movement and the idea of systemic change. But then you also had, I think, in some of these Republican testimonials, it wasn't all, all about working across the aisle. It was also just about decency right. and friendship. And it wasn't so much about politics, but just about normal and going back to maybe a little bit of boring too and i think all of that was was you know at the end of the day put it put it all together and it seemed to to kind of work we stand with joe biden that's voting rights advocate stacy abrams speaking earlier this evening and that brings us to a major moment in history being celebrated today the ratification 100 years ago today of the 19th amendment to the constitution granting women the right to vote. That fight still goes on today with people like Stacey Abrams. Bill Clinton wrapping up his 11th Democratic Convention speech, spoken at every Democratic Convention since 1980. Rahm Emanuel, you and I worked with him in the 1992 campaign. In many ways, this was a vintage Clinton speech, but on a very small screen and a very small stage. <laughs> That's the understatement of the year. I mean, it's a very different uh, point. You're going to hear from Colin Powell uh, the, the validation of someone who has endorsed 
the Democrats before. He's endorsed Hillary Clinton. He's endorsed Barack Obama. But he's never appeared at a Democratic convention. He has voted Democratic in the last few elections. But this is this takes it another step. And he sees this as a, a real issue of leadership. He is a general first, secretary of state and diplomat second. But he really is a military man and also the child of immigrants. And he sees that Donald Trump does not meet the leadership needs of this country. And he is that forcefully uh, compelled to speak out for Joe Biden as a former Republican speaking at the Democratic National Convention. It's the first time he's done this, and it's pretty remarkable. Remember back when the financial crisis hit in 2008, 2009? At some point, it seemed like you stopped seeing George W. Bush on television, and instead the Treasury Secretary was the face of the administration, because that was after Katrina, and Americans had lost confidence in George W. Bush's ability to manage the government. This is, feels an awful lot like one of those moments for Donald Trump. The president time like this, the Oval Office should be a command center. Instead, it's a storm center. There's only chaos. Just one thing never changes. His determination to deny responsibility and shift the blame. The buck never stops there. Now you have to decide whether to renew his contract or hire someone else. If you want a president who defines the job as spending hours a day watching TV and zapping people on social media, he's your man. Denying, distracting, and demeaning works great if you're trying to entertain or inflame. But in a real crisis, it collapses like a house of cards. COVID just doesn't respond to any of that. To beat it, you've got to actually go to work and deal with the facts. Our party is united in offering you a very different choice, a go-to-work president. Do you care about black lives? The people that run Baltimore don't. I can prove it. Walk with me. They don't want you to see this. I'm Kim Klasik. This is Baltimore, the real Baltimore. This is the reality for black people every single day. Crumbling infrastructure, abandoned homes, poverty, and crime. Baltimore has been run by the Democrat Party for 53 years. What is the result of their decades of leadership? Baltimore is one of the top five most dangerous cities in America. The murder rate in Baltimore is 10 times the U.S. average. The Baltimore poverty rate is over 20%. Homicide, drug, and alcohol deaths are skyrocketing in our city. Do you believe Black Lives Matter? I do. The vast majority of crime in Baltimore is perpetrated against black people who make up 60% of the population. So why don't we care about our community? The Democrat Party have betrayed the black people of Baltimore. If the politicians walked the streets like I do, they would see exactly how their policies and corruption affects us. But they don't want to see it. They don't want you to see this. Go to any Baltimore neighborhood and ask this question. Do you want to defund the police? No. No. Absolutely not. I had three sons killed in Baltimore City. And I think if we defund the police office, it's going to be worse than that. So no, I'm opposed to that. What are you going to defund the police for? Why? How do you defend your city, your community? Families are losing people. It's not just Baltimore. The worst place for a black person to live in America is a Democrat-controlled city. It's 2020. Name a blue city where black people's lives have gotten better. Try. I'll wait. 
Look at this. How are children supposed to live here and play here? Democrats think black people are stupid. They think they can control us forever. That we won't demand better and that we'll keep voting for them forever. Despite what they've done to our families and our communities. Are they right? I'm Kim Klasik and I'm running for Congress because I actually care about black lives. All black lives matter. Our communities matter. Baltimore matters. And black people don't have to vote Democrat. I know we're super long today and I didn't want to separate because it wasn't long enough. So just a few more things. Remember, if we actually had a media that hit both sides like they're supposed to, that night would have been crushed. But it's not. And so would Obama. Ben Shapiro, moments in Obama presidency that fueled racial tensions. We know him. Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Dallas massacre of police officers. All of those made us where we're at now. And because of his ratcheting up of all the tensions and racial stuff and the way he got to lead for eight years, we now have a big tech that has silenced over 260 Biden critics already. Already. There's been 129 instances of censorship on Facebook. Not for violating stuff, just posting things they don't like. There's been 131 memes and accounts suspended on Twitter. Because you can't have any opposing views. And then you have a blue check Antifa member. Let that go. Blue check Antifa. Emily Gorzinski. Does anyone have high quality images of Trump boat rally that show boat names or registration numbers so I can start doxing, which is a direct violation of Twitter policy? That tweet still stands. And all their policies, everything we're at, riots in the streets, violence, everything that's going to hell in a handbasket. Minneapolis burned to the ground. COVID was worse in blue states than red states. They ignore federal law on immigration. California first plague case in five years confirmed. They have the fucking plague. And we've covered on the show measles. All these diseases that we didn't have in our country are here. And our media ignores it and calls you xenophobic. Now that we learned what Chinese, I guess. But basically some kind of phobic. Because we won't cover both sides. Next week, the RNC convention, you will guarantee I will play hours of fucking sound bites of how horrible they are. And they're already attacking the presenters while they ignored that a guy who was on the island with prostitutes spoke last night about the Oval Office. That makes sense when you start the show with a guy getting beat to death and nobody wants to cover it. 
So that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOPpodcast gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Up and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out the Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. Our next show will be 23 August, Year of Our Lord, 2020. Until then... As always, say the same things. Disconnect from your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeah. Spend some time with your family. Tune back in Sunday for another show. Thanks for listening, folks. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Every day counts. I'm the sun and the air. I'm a shyness that is criminally broken. I'm the sun and air. I'm nothing in particular.